0: For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
1: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
2: All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind crazy, indecision my mind
0: Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blisey, and this is episode number 22. On today's podcast, I have the guys from the Hunting Chronicles podcast on, and we go into basically just a big bs session about a lot of different topics it's a little bit longer podcast but it kind of got away from us a little bit there we we got into some good conversation and uh, we talk a lot about michigan and antler point restrictions and and what you know michigan as a state could be doing a little different to to manage our herd a little better and we also talk about you know deer camps in michigan the tradition Stateland hunting. Um, you name it and we cover it basically. so it was just a big kind of a BS session but it was also you know just really cool to, to sit down and talk hunting and, and talk outdoors and um, like I said it's a little longer but uh, you know it, when you're having good conversation, it, it time flies when you're having fun kind of thing and, and uh, it, it went a little long so I hope you guys enjoy this one and without further ado I'm gonna get Adam and John on here and we're gonna kick this thing off. All right, Adam and John, how you guys doing?
2: It's good. You know, we got a big moon and a cold front coming in, and I got Thursday off, so <laughs> I'm planning, planning my strategies. That's perfect, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. We we ended up doing a podcast last night, and then hung out till one. And <laughs> so I missed my alarm clock. I I couldn't get up this morning. And go home <laughs> up, <so. laughs> I was, I'm like, it was the best morning too. I'm like damn it adam <laughs>
0: yeah the, i mean i woke up this morning and it was about quarter after six and i looked out on my back deck and there was like an inch of frost on the ground and i'm like oh my gosh i gotta go to work <laughs> so <laughs>
2: yeah that'll get in the way yeah.
0: well for everybody who's you know doesn't know who i'm talking to can you guys you know just uh kind of introduce yourselves and in, and uh what you guys do
2: well um we run the bow hunter chronicles podcast. We're just uh, a couple of regular guys that really like bow hunting. We're not, you know, exceptionally good at it, I would say. Um, yeah. but we're definitely passionate. Um, John's more of the, the bow tech side, yeah. not the brand. The I, Yeah. Not the <laughs> brand.
1: No, I do all the, I do all the bow building and string building and all the tuning for Adam when he buys a bow that's screwed up or yeah
2: or we get a bow that has incorrect things on it from the factory and it takes us seven years to figure it out (laughs) but but yeah so so john has always been the this mechanical guy and he has all the i guess he's the guy that i would always go to to pick his brain and say you know i guess the reason the the podcast got started is we listen to podcast and a lot of my friends you know people that didn't hunt or that wanted to get into hunting were always asking me and I was more of like a gear guy so I would buy like every little doodad and whatnot and do I'm a I do a lot of reading and and stuff like that so I was always like up on all the latest kind of gear and the things that were coming out and then John was the one that was taking up taking the stuff and he was you know doing the FOC on all of his arrows and running six fletch and changing things up and changing his bow constantly so we'd have conversations for for hours and it was like you know I've been thinking about doing a podcast and John's like I think we could do I think I could do that too so it just kind of morphed into into this and we're just people you know kind of taking people along with with our story um you know as far as continuing to learn and kind of like a do-it-yourself type manner um you know we just we started this thing as a as whitetail hunters and ended up with opportunity to head out west and do some elk hunting this year and then it it you know quickly became a learn how to elk hunt from a uh, an eastern or flatlander perspective podcast very quickly
0: (laughs) that's pretty cool you know you're talking about the the bow hunting or you know the setting up bows and everything and i actually just got a brand new uh pse evoke 31 and I was at the shop today in um, Bay Archery over here on the on the wet or on the east side of the state, and I know those guys pretty well, and they treat me pretty well because just like you guys, I mean anybody else out there is pretty serious bow hunter. Not anybody can just touch my bow, <laughs> and uh, um, so I, I kind of hand select them, and and I've actually got a guy that does pretty well, and um, I really like taking my stuff over there. But anyway, I, I got a brand new dozen arrows this summer and started shooting them. They were shooting great and everything. Well, I switched bows and figured that, you know, my, the spine would be just fine. Never really thought anything of it Well, I'm paper tuning it today. And I had a low left hair. I mean, it was terrible moving the rest all over and trying to figure everything out. And I was shooting a 300 spine and 70 pound bow, but I backed it off to 67. Um, And I picked up a 340 spine and shot it, and it was a bullet hole. And I'm like, okay, so it's not – I thought it was, like, something in my grip or something I was doing. And I shot the 300 again, low left. Shot the 340, bullet hole. So, like, I ended up spending more money today buying brand-new arrows, and now I'm shooting darts, so I'm happy with that.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, so you're you're – you were shooting a two the spine was too, too stiff, stiff for you. yeah
0: and i figured you know my bows are the bow that i sh- i have a psc carbon air um evolve cam and then i just got the evoke 31 and i figured it'd be pretty close to where i didn't think it'd be that big of a difference but i learned something today
1: <laughs> right so you were right on the edge, basically on the yeah on the, the sp- spine chart basically i ended up doing the same thing Last year I was shooting the Hoyt Double XL, which got the the DFX cams, yep. and then I then I picked up the RX One, and I ended up I was like, well, I'm right on the edge. Like on my arrow, my arrows are like 29, 29 inches, and I'm shooting. I was shooting uh, 75 grains of brass up front, and then I switched over to 50 grains. Okay. Well, that the 50 grains didn't break the shaft down enough so but I went with a uh, 260 spine and so I was like man I was getting the same thing left tear couldn't get rid of it so it was either buy another set of arrows or buy a set of limbs so I was like well I'll just put a set of 80 pound limbs so (laughs) (laughs) so I got rid of the tear
0: (laughs) you went aggressive on it that's pretty aggressive yeah
1: yeah but it shoots great now
0: yeah you know, and that's something I'm trying to get into a little bit, but, you know, we talked about, you know, off of record about how I've just got so much going on, and it's just something else into the fire that I just can't get into right now because I just don't have the time. You know, I'm trying to find time to mow my lawn, and I can't even do that. <laughs> so, but that's something I've been wanting to learn, you know, that trade for sure.
1: Yeah, it definitely takes some time. You know, I – uh I learned a lot, you know, watching all of John Dudley's videos, and our listeners are probably sick of hearing me say it. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's got awesome, awesome information, and it's, you know, it's right out there for everyone to find. Yeah, he's an animal,
0: so, man. That guy, he knows everything, I swear. I listen to a lot of his stuff too, and he's just – it's unreal what he can do with a bow and how he can even shoot a bow, you know. Right,
1: yeah, he's a he's a great guy too. I mean we met him at ATA and you know, just like we're talking right now, he said we sat and talked probably close to two hours over the weekend. Oh really? Just running into each other. Yeah. That's cool. Talking about building bows and talking sights and bowstring material. I mean it, you name it, we, we talked about it. Yep. So.
0: so you guys but, you guys uh you know, kinda gave a brief about, you know, how you got into the podcasting and everything. Um, just for everybody listening, can you tell everybody, you know, my listeners that may have not, you know, heard your guys' podcast where you guys are located at in Michigan and everything and just kind of break that down?
1: Yeah, well, we're uh, Twin Lake, Michigan. We're right on the uh, west side of the state. Well, the big town that we're in is Muskegon, so we're in the county of Muskegon. And Bowhunter Chronicles. Uh, yeah, up- I
2: mean, that's that's where we're at, so there's a lot of, like, the – Manistee National Forest is like the big blocks of land around us. It's not, you know, up up north. And I feel like the guys on, you know, the east side of the state, everybody kind of goes up to the Pigeon River area, and around here, everybody goes somewhere in the Manistee National Forest. Those are like, I guess, the trends that I've kind of
1: noticed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the Manistee National Forest. I mean, that that stretches, you know, from half mile north of my house or our house right here. In Twin Lake, all the way up to Manistee County, and you know, even north north of that. So it's there's a ton of public land, but there's a ton of public hunters too. Now,
0: is that where <laughs> you guys are doing the majority of your hunting? Is on that public land, or do you guys have private land that you hunt as well?
1: I hunt uh, just just the public land. I I have no private land access. So yeah. So
2: right now, I'm I haven't hunted any private land at all um this year i'm leaving the first week in november we've got a cabin with 240 acres up in the up and uh it's the what southwest we're eight miles from wisconsin oh okay and actually like where the so right right now here in in michigan we're in the or in in muskegon here we're in the cwd management zone and the cwd you know core area is just you know in the counties adjacent to Muskegon there so they just found a case in the UP which puts our property in the CWD management zone <laughs> and it actually looks like we're like about maybe 4 miles m- m- probably not even that far from actually the core area there as well oh, man. Like looking at the map um so it's it's kind of interesting but uh we've got a cabin with 240 acres up there that's mostly used to be cedar swamp um, and, uh, it's been logged off a couple of times. So it's like kind of overgrown, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in that like re reforming period. So there's a lot of nasty tangles and all sorts of that stuff, but it's a seven hour drive from here in good weather. So we don't get up there a whole lot. So right. I'm going to go up there for a week, you know, first week in November.
0: That's cool. Uh, you, you have, did you say you had private land or public land up there?
2: It's it's private. Oh, okay. We've got 200, two hundred two two hundred forty acres. Yep. Okay. My uh, great grandpa got uh, a farmhouse and forty acres for a fifty dollar bad check during the depression, and then some big tycoon from South Carolina got the two hundred that was around us, and then forever and a day we were the legal overseers of the land. Yep. And it's funny when I was thinking about this, you know, and having this conversation. I think at that time, when we were the legal overseers of the land, it was better hunting because it hadn't been logged off yet. And it definitely came back after it was logged, like one or two years after it was logged off, it was really good. But then after we, you know, after my family bought the, that land, so the guy in North Carolina or South Carolina, he died, his kids logged off the land and then sold us. The remnants they took the the timber and then sold us what was left the 200 acres yep and but then it was ours so then what happened was a million box blinds started going up on it and ladder stands everywhere where before it wasn't our land so we could just we just had access to hunt there okay and these these people never set foot on there so it, in thinking about it it's 240 acres it seems like a big piece of property but there's more guys on that 240 acres than there is on any of the pieces of public that I've been to. I walk on a piece of public and I see two or three tree stands. and I think, oh man, somebody has been here. But when I go on my property, I got to walk past five box blinds and two tree stands to get to wherever I want. So the deer are somewhat educated up there, I'd say.
0: Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because the family farm that I grew up hunting here, I've got uh, two farms here, but I've only hunted one. Uh, this is the third year that I've hunted it because my brother-in-law had bought it um he has a dairy farm here and but, but the family farm is 215 acres my dad has hunted it since we were trying to figure this out the other day he's been hunting it since the late 70s and um him and his best friend and now um my uncle's a part of it they're buddies and then all of us kids and everything and um, there's, we have 215 acres and there's 11 guys on it and <laughs> it's like, she, we've got the most, what was it? I think we've got the, in that square mile, we've got the biggest continuous block of timber. I think I'm not, I can't remember how that worked, but it's uh we have a 65 acre hayfield, which the deer flock to, I mean, that's kind of our saving grace, but in one breath, but Another one is like, you'll go out there and you'll see a hundred does in the hayfield every night. So it's like, we just have tons of deer. The deer density up here is just unbelievable, but we do pull, you know, a couple of good bucks out a year. You know, we'll kill, you know, 120 inch deer a year. Um, what was it? Uh, 2016. Um, we killed two. One was, I killed one that was 120. And then, the uh, we killed one with a rifle that was like 118. So that was kind of like our our best year for our biggest year, but, you know, we're, we're striving for that three and a half year old. That's right around that, you know, scoring range. So it's gotten a lot better in the last 10 years. I mean, 10 years ago, we were having guys shooting year and a half old eight points on opening day rifle season. And it's like, you know, but it, everything progresses. I mean, you guys see it too. It's just it takes time, you know, and, um, our younger generation, we want to kill bigger deer now and kind of the older generation, they're still on that, like, you know, they're just happy to be out there hunting and they just want to kill their buck, you know, which is totally fine, you know, because I want everybody to have fun. And we, you know, we built a deer camp. We built a log cabin from scratch up there um, in 2001, I believe. So we've got a nice deer camp there and everything. And it's really cool. But I totally understand what you mean by the, you know, so many guys hunting, not a very big piece of ground. So, so
2: I, I, it's hard for me to be on this end of the, the podcast, so I got to ask you a question. <laughs> um, so what you said about that, uh, the older generation and the just got to get a buck guy. So you you, you hunt all over, um, you know, with, with your job and, and kind of everything that, that you're doing. What is your take on the way that Michigan is managing there, um, you know, with the two buck tags and... And the antler point restrictions and everything. I guess what's what's your take on that? Uh,
0: um, you know, in my opinion, and until someone tells me differently, um, I feel like our DNR and the state of Michigan has no idea what the num what our deer herd is. I feel like they say they do, but they have no idea. Because the way I see it is they're going off of tag sold and um, they're not really going off what I think they should be going off, which is harvest. Now, don't get me wrong. Not everybody, not every hunter in the state of Michigan is going to register a deer. I get that. And you're going to get poachers. You're going to get, um, you know, car accidents and stuff like that with deer. I, I totally get it. But in my opinion, from all the states that I've hunted, Missouri does it the best way. Um, and it will, it would take time and yes it would take a little bit of money but with as many tags as we sell every year i feel like they could you know figure out a, a new process so missouri every deer that you kill you have to register that deer and the way i do it they just come up with a new app and literally you can do it all on the app and it takes five minutes you go in there and you tell you say what the deer was and it asks you if you you know it says there's a whole bunch of list of questions. I can't remember what they all were, but I think it even asks you possibly what the age of it is. I can't remember, but, and at the end it says, do you want to punch your tag? And it says submit and you submit it. And now that is submitted to the state of Missouri. So they know that that deer is killed. Now, like I said, you're never going to get a hundred percent of all deer. You're not going to, know if there was a hundred deer killed in Michigan, you would never know there's a hundred deer, you know, it's just hard, but I just feel like the numbers are so skewed and how, uh, how many are killed, because have you guys ever registered a deer in your life?
1: Not well, I, in Michigan. That's
0: what I'm saying. No, I've never done one. Everybody that I know in Michigan has never, ever registered a deer because it's not mandatory. Now, I feel like maybe because we, I don't know, because we've never done it, I think it might be kind of a hard transition, but I feel like we need to start getting towards that because for first and foremost, every time I turn around, I hear DNR or the state of Michigan or what it is trying to say that our deer hood's in in either great health or we, we, we got it in check. And in my opinion, I'm like, I think you're full of crap because you're going off of a million tags sold and that's not how many deer are getting killed. You know, you could probably, I don't know, you might be able to get it to 80%, but I feel, I don't know what it is. That's just my opinion um and i think you kind of maybe start there and see what happens you know now this whole cwd thing you know coming up and i'm sure you guys heard the ted nugent on when he was talking to to joe rogan about it and he's like it's a crock of crap like it's not even it's not even a thing you know and it's like well i t- i get that but it it's something you know and what is it what do, i i don't I don't want it to get to a point where we lose our privileges to hunt or they eradicate our deer herd. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I, I, I hope that kind of answered your question, <laughs> but
1: yeah, we, I think we have the same outlook on it. Kind of like when we hunted Ohio and we actually brought this up before, it was like, we got down to Ohio, we buy our tag and you get one buck. And so everyone's pretty much like, you know, well, I'm only going to shoot one buck. I'm going to make it a good one. You know, and there's, there's a lot of good bucks running around down there, but once we, you know, we shot our buck and then you call in, they ask you, you know, like what County, what kind of weapon, you know, go through this whole checklist. And then same thing, you register it basically. I mean, and same thing guys can, you know, fudge the numbers on that or not call in, but for the most part, it's a it's a good system. I mean, obviously they have a really good, healthy deer population, a lot of nice bucks and, and, and you get up here in Michigan and, you know, but on top of that for, so, I mean, I guess the way that I see it is
2: I see that there's like a few different classes of hunters. Yes. Right. And I think that that's what I was getting out, getting at with that question is so for a, for older generation. And I think it's, it is generational. There's the, I got to shoot my buck guy. And it doesn't matter if it has three points or 13. Right. You know, I got my buck. That's a successful season. Now, I think that that, you know, probably lends more towards the rifle hunter. Yeah. Than than the bow hunter. I think your bow hunters, well, now with the advent of crossbows is a whole other, you know, ball of wax. But I think that there's those guys that their season is successful if they shoot a buck. It doesn't matter to the buck. And then I see in that same class, I would put your youth or, you know, your young kids, first time hunters, that sort of thing, where they're just happy to get out there and harvest a deer. And I think that's maybe one way that the antler point restrictions are, and the youth hunt are kind of doing a disservice is these kids are going out early with the summer pattern deer. They're getting the first crack at all these big bucks they don't have to i mean in my mind they're not working as hard you know to shoot their first buck or they're seeing you know much larger class deer they're harvesting them you know from the first time and then they don't get that bug because they don't want to it wasn't I was like, it, oh, it, easy. it wasn't it wasn't a build-up right but yeah i would put that i would put the the first time hunters in that category. And then you've got the meat hunters who are just doesn't, doesn't matter. Buck doe fawn button buck. They're going to eat it. And that's their sole goal going out there. And then you've got the stone cold killers that are out there. And I feel like that's where the Michigan's two buck system is kind of hindering any of that big antler growth. I mean, cause we've got good genetics, especially in Southern Michigan you know, there's some huge deer down there.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: But, but you've got these guys that are shooting maybe a deer that if you only had one tag, they would let walk. Right. But, but it's there. It meets the antler point restriction. It's a decent buck. They shoot it and then they go out and then maybe the last day of the season, they shoot another one just like it because they didn't shoot that bigger one. Yep. But if if you're out there with one tag and that's it, and then it's, you know, like Ohio where we were at and you could shoot three does in this County, four does in this County, three does in this County. So meat wasn't an issue. There were bigger bucks. It seemed like everywhere. So you were, you know, a hundred inch eight point, you didn't even pick up your ball. Right. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't the thing. So I think that's kind of like the way that I look at, Michigan and and kind of like where where things are kind of going astray.
0: You know, and you brought up yeah. the youth hunt too. And this is something that's been kind of something that I've been thinking a, a lot about as well. And you know, when I was going through the youth hunt cuz I could have hunted the youth hunt but my dad wouldn't let me. He, you know, he's like he didn't believe in the youth hunt. He didn't think it was, you know, the right thing to do to let your kid go out in the summer like you said and the feeding patterns and kill possibly the biggest deer of your, you know, life, you know, or, or whatever. And then he didn't just didn't think that, you know, that was going to get me into hunting, but you know, more than what it already had. So maybe he passed that down a little bit to me because I don't believe in the youth hunt and when it lands. Okay. It's not that I, it's not that he doesn't believe in the youth hunt. It's not that it was the time that it happens and it's still to this day. In my opinion, I feel like so and I'm going to go back to the Missouri thing. Missouri's youth hunt lands in like I want to say it's like the first or I think it might be the second week of November. But what I'm thinking is like why not put it the weekend of Thanksgiving? Um, you know, a lot of the kids are they're off school. They, you know, they're be- I know I get it it's kind of getting cold and you you don't want to get your kid out in there in the cold. I understand that, but like it's it's I don't know. I just don't think I don't think it's getting more kids into the woods. I guess, or, and I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but the reason what I'm where it's coming from is, I went to, I went to school with some kids that did the youth hunt, and this one girl went out and shot a 165 inch deer, her first deer ever. Never hunted again in her life. Like just shot this giant right. deer, and has never. And it it's not just her, but it was like a couple other kids that you know just they did it because their dad wanted them to do it and then they go out and shoot this giant deer or it doesn't even matter if it's a giant deer it's just a deer so I feel like that doesn't land on the right time um in the antler point restrictions I don't know really what I think about it and it might not I don't know because I'm I've been trying to focus on killing a higher age class deer for the last couple years so it really doesn't apply to me, I guess. Um, I haven't really had a lot of opportunities where I had to pass up a hundred inch deer in Michigan. You know what I mean? So that had four on one side or something. Um, I really don't know what I think about that, but the one buck rule, I'm all for it. One buck and you know, that's what you get because I'm all for that. And even if you want to jack the prices up on it, instead of paying, you know, maybe you're paying the same as you did for a combo, but only for one tag, I'm totally fine with that. If it's a money thing, um, and then uh, I I don't know, it's but I totally agree with you with the classes. You know what I mean? You hit the nail right on the head with the with the hunters and the rifle hunters and everything, and and uh, the meat hunters, and I don't know. I, I I guess I just feel like there's a lot that can be done and and hasn't happened yet. You know, and I I know it's not gonna happen overnight, but I just feel like there's some some practices that the state of Michigan can be taking and to gradually make, maybe do it over time. And it just hasn't happened that I've seen, you know?
2: And and so like, just kind of on, on the antler point restriction note, one of the things you had, um, you know, texted me before this was like kind of how, like I grew up hunting or like what our, our style is or, or whatever. Yeah. So I, my dad bow hunted for, Forever. I mean, his bow is like a, one of these four-wheeled herders <laughs> relics. I mean, yep. that, that that was out of the back page of the hunting magazine right when it first came out. And I can remember in my lifetime, maybe, before I started seriously getting into bow hunting, him bringing home two or three deer with a bow. And it, they were always does. I don't remember any bucks, but that was never the like goal it was just to shoot deer and at the time you know back in the late 80s early 90s we were in menominee county and i think it was unit 055 and it had the highest like deer population in the state so it there was doe permits you could buy as many as you wanted and so we hunted deer and i went and i sat i was a stump sitter you know, and with a rifle, I mean, I shot two deer the first day that I rifle hunted. I bow hunted, you know, the first two years before that. And I missed one right at the base of my tree. And I missed one at 15 yards the first time I ever bow hunted. And, but the first day that I rifle hunted, I shot two deer just because it was fish in a barrel. Right. And so that was, that was what made a successful hunt. You know, you went up to hunting camp. You were up there with the guys. And that year, so that was... When I was 14, so that would have been 1995, um, our camp imposed our own antler point restriction. So it was three on one side for all the camps that were around us because we weren't seeing the class of deer that, you know, everybody has their stories of the UP or back in the day right. or whatever. Yep. It always used to be better. I think what happened was there's a lot more guys that got onto the land and all the does were there. And every year they would shoot maybe one deer. That was a good buck, but, I mean, and that's 110, 115-inch buck, like not a, a giant by any means. Um, but that antler point restriction up there, I mean, we saw little bucks. You, you couldn't – there was a couple years in recent history where it was like you couldn't shoot a doe. It was just everything had horns. Everything was a spike or, you know, because they – I guess they knew that they were safe there. <laughs> and so shooting does was just, just the way that it was. And that's kind of what's, what's changed with me as far as my hunting. And I listened, you know, like you had said, you know, you're targeting this class of deer or, or this, you know, that was never like the way that we were brought up hunting. Like the way that I was brought up hunting was, you know, you bought your doe permit along with your, and your buck tags and, if a buck came out and it had three points on one side, you shot it. And I was like ostracized one opening day for not shooting a little gnarly racked seven point because uh, I had a I had two spikes chasing the doe right past me, and then the next year was like a two and a half year old just mutant, and it, I got a spit on him. And they're like, "You didn't? Why didn't you shoot him?" I'm like, "Well, I wasn't." that wasn't what I was after, you know, right. I can shoot a, I can shoot a doe. I could have shot the doe. Yep. You know, it, it, the progression was that bigger bucks kept coming. I wanted to see what was behind exactly. him because he wasn't a trophy yeah. to me. But like I say, we, we had that for like the last 20 years and it it doesn't really seem to have changed, but our hunting style, you know, evolved into, well, it's really cold and here's a box blind or here's a heater or here's something else. and, you know, so the you,
1: mature bucks are like, yeah, we're going to stay away yeah. from that. Yeah, and they,
2: <laughs> you know, it was always in the rut that they were, you know, it was bucks that were either searching or or chasing does, and that's when they were there. Up until recent history when, you know, I guess I've kind of ventured out and you know, looked, actually started looking at the piece of property instead of just sitting where traditionally there's been deer, um, have we been seeing more and more, like, larger bucks up there but i say that with the antler point restrictions now up where john and my father-in-law hunt that was one of the first counties to have antler point restrictions you know in lake county and i think it's been great as far as the quality of deer that are coming out of there there's always been big deer up there but now there's right there's
1: there's more bigger bucks and getting killed there was a there used to be a a sign on one of the gates up there, and it says, uh, "Mandatory QDM sucks." <laughs> <laughs> and I think it, it that sign was up there until like last year. I think they finally took it down. And like, oh wow, th- it doesn't suck. I mean, because <laughs> now we're seeing bigger bucks. But I grew up hunting. I was on the other side of it. My dad was like, he was a a bow hunting machine. I mean, just a killing machine in general. It didn't matter gun or bow. But we, I've never. Put in for, I, this was the first year I put in for a doe permit. Really? I, yeah. I'm, when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to shoot a doe. But if it had horns, shoot it. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I mean, my dad had literally cardboard boxes in our basement with just racks. Just hundreds of them. And, you know, it was like, don't shoot a doe. Matter of fact, when I finally shot my first doe, I was, you know, I think I was fifteen. No, I was sixteen because I was driving, and I went up. I was up north, and I end up shooting a nice doe and come back. And my dad was pissed. What'd you shoot a doe for? I'm like, because it's good for the population, dad, and it's good, they're good to eat. Yeah. You know, I, I'd rather shoot a doe than a little spike horn or a three point. You know, shoot a nice mature doe. And so, and there was a lot of years where I didn't kill anything just because I I wanted. You know, I killed some really nice bucks with my gun when i was younger and it was like you know what i i ended up i think when i was 17 or 18 i that was the last year i killed a nice 10 point with my gun and i'm like you know what i love hunting i'm just gonna hunt them with my bow Yep. you know it was for me i was like not to say it was just easy you know I, I, two of them i killed this dumb luck i just walked out and sat down and they end up running by me and it was like one shot you know the those three bucks I shot with, you know, three shells. That was it. But yeah,
0: and so you know, you talked about your dad. You know, my dad was the same way. My dad was he, you know, and that's where I get how much I love bow hunting from. Is my dad is just he doesn't bow hunt as much anymore. He's very busy, and but he tries to get out a little bit. But when I was growing up, I mean, he that's all he did was bow hunted and. Um, with the APRs and and how I say I I don't really know about them it's not that I don't like them Um, we do have a self-imposed antler point restriction on our deer camp on our family farm and we've had it for 20 years now it's either four on one side or eight or bigger that's the rule and you can only shoot any buck when it's your first buck so once you kill that buck it could be a spike it could be a button buck whatever you want and then you have to obey you know abide by the rules Um, and I think that's maybe why I don't really think about the point restriction is because I always knew it in the back of my head, you know, it was there. I only could shoot an eight point or I could only shoot a four point on one side kind of deer. Um, and I'm all for them because I see what they're doing. I have a buddy that hunts up in, boy, I can't remember what County now, um, up, up in the Northern Lower Peninsula. And in three years they were getting bucks that were in the 140 to 150. Once they put the you know, the antler point restriction. On it. And I'm like, well, it's working, you know, why, why doesn't ever, you know, the whole state go to it. Um, but like growing up for me, uh, the, the day that it hit me, I can remember it like it's yesterday, I was 14 years old and, um, my uncle had shot a double split brow 10 point on opening day rifle season that scored like 130, And it was like, that was the biggest deer we'd taken off the farm. And it was like, wow you know this is a mega giant you know when I was 14 years old and and from that day forward because I was the first kid to come up so it was my dad my two uncles and me basically my dad's best friend that bow hunted that's it you know on 200 acres and I know that does that seems like a lot but it's really wasn't back then it didn't seem like so I'm like these deer are really here you know so since then I really started to try to like I wanted to kill the big one you know I wanted to to kill something worth bringing home so that's I don't know you could call it maybe I was spoiled or you know but then my dad my dad two years in a row killed bucks in the upper 120s you know with his bow and with his gun and it's like man like I want my opportunity well in 2009 I killed my first what I called at that time really good Michigan deer and it was a 100 inch eight pointer and on film and that was like unbelievable i brought i was so happy you know the next year i did the same thing same kind of deer and then from there it was like okay i've killed these like two and a half year old deer now i want to start trying to kill like you know a three and a half year old deer and it's not that i didn't kill does you know we kill a lot of does i'm all for killing does because like you said john it's it it does the herd good i mean i don't like seeing a hundred does in our hayfield a night because they just kick all the bucks out of there and eat all the food that the bucks can't. So we're not, we don't have as many bucks, you know what I mean? Um, Right. But that's kind of, you know, I don't claim to be any big buck hunter, but you know, if I don't get my buck this year, I'm totally fine with it. You know, I'm going to kill some does for meat and everything, but um, I'm just trying to pinpoint, you know, I think it's really cool to find a deer and try to kill that specific deer um, or couple deer, you know, in which I, had an opportunity to to last weekend and I, and I blew that opportunity, but um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's, you know, I I do feel like Michigan is making some strides in the right direction, but I just don't think it's, I don't know. I just don't think they're doing everything that they can be. For sure. (laughs) So
2: you said, you know, the, the first good Michigan deer that you killed, you killed on film. Now, was that, I guess how long have you been filming? So we're we're starting to try and film hunts, and John's taking cameras out, you know, with him. I haven't taken a camera out this year, um, just yet, because my I've, I've been everywhere and it's just been exploring, and I would have been using my camera arm as a paddle um, this <laughs> last Saturday. But uh, so I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit better idea of like where I'm going before I yeah. lug all the extra stuff with yeah. me. Um, but so how long have you been filming? your hunts and did that like kind of what spurned the passion into what you're doing now or i mean how did that all come about
0: so um when i was 16 years old i you know just like everybody even probably you guys too i mean i grew up watching all the hunt shows you know on espn on saturday mornings watching real tree and and everything that was my thing it was it wasn't cartoons it was it was hunting and you know i've always wanted to I always wanted to be either be a professional baseball player or I wanted to, to do something hunting related for a living. And when I was 16, um, my best friend at the time, um, I was like, Hey, you know, would you, you know, we should try filming a hunt. You know, I, I, and I, I didn't know how to hang a tree tree arm. I didn't know much about tree arms. Um, I didn't even know how to hang a, a second stand in the tree like where do you put it and stuff like that so um i borrowed my dad's best friend's video camera and it was like a, a high eight vhs kind of deal and <laughs> and uh he was gonna film me the first night and i was gonna film him the second night so we went out and hunting over bait because that's what we did We hunted over bait and i, I went to a spot uh, I remember him asking my best friend, Brandon, he said, what's the odds of us uh, being able to see deer tonight or getting an opportunity to kill one? And I said, I think it's pretty good, you know, because I'm going to kill a doe if, if one comes in. He's like, all right, you know, so we went out and I remember it was October 16th um, and went out. I could even tell you the tree warrior and then um, hung the stands right then. You know, like before it was a run and gun, before I even knew what a run and gun was, but I knew that was an area where I wanted to be. Hung the stands right then and didn't even know what we were doing, filming, just trying to film it all. And about 45 minutes later, you know, three big does came in and I shot one on film. And um, I was a, I, what was I, I was a sophomore in high school and, and I ha- I had a video productions class in high school and the teacher was one of my football coaches and uh, I went in there and I said you know this is this is what I did this weekend you know and he's like really he's like why don't you edit it up and we'll put it on the announcements for lunch at lunch you know so like at homeroom so all the the whole school can see it and I'm like no way like we can do that and he's like yeah let's do it so I spent the next couple days editing this hunt and I remember I put it to a three doors down song, (laughs) like not knowing, (laughs) you know, what to do, but I'm like, I I love this song. So I want to do, do that. And, um, put it to that song and the whole school watched it. And it was like that they seen something that, you know, was only done on TV. So it was like, so cool. And ever since then I wanted to, to do this. And, um, I can tell you, religiously from 16 on until it would have been 2013 so it would have been I was 16 years old boy that was a while ago I can't remember that was 15 years ago 16 years ago and um I I filmed every hunt whether I had someone with me or if I just filmed it myself and uh, I killed a lot of deer on film by myself um and 2000 I had two really rough years as a hunter it was 2010 and 11 um I just I just wasn't capitalizing on opportunities and and you know you go through those hiccups and everything as a hunter but um 2012 I targeted a deer that was a three-year-old deer and that was when it really started hitting me like I wanted to kill you know some bigger deer and uh I went and bought a decoy at Jay's up in Claire I went out hunting that night, filming myself and I had this deer that I was trying to kill come into the decoy and postured up to him and I killed him at like four steps and I, I filmed him falling too on camera and it was like, you know, so, and that was right when I started working, um, for rusted rooster and the Kiefer brothers where I'm at now. And, uh, so yeah i mean i've filmed basically since i was 16 till till now you know in present time there was times I w- i'd go out with it without a camera just because i wanted to go out and enjoy it again it kind of got to the point when i was filming myself it was just like getting to be work and i'm like well i'm not really having fun with it anymore i'm just going to leave the camera but then something happened that i was like well i wish i had it on camera you know so it just got to be a point where i just did it and i just sucked it up and you know, and that's the rest is history kind of deal, you know, and it's a lot of fun. And, and I eventually got to the point where I told myself, you know, and and this is kind of where my podcast comes from is, you know, my kids, I only, I have one kid um, now. And I said, eventually, you know, I want these memories on there for my kids or my grandkids to be able to say, oh, this is what grandpa was like, you know, and be able to listen to these podcasts or go back and, and look at up the old Tapes and everything, and the footage, and you know, be able to, you know, see me and my element and what I love to do, kind of thing. So that's kind of where it stemmed from.
2: So for the the new guys that are trying to get into filming, I mean, I guess for our listeners, kind of give a a little bit of background on what it is that you do for a living. Um, you kind of alluded to it there, and then what would you recommend for guys that are starting out? You know filming because you know everything seems now to be DSLR and all this you know when I I've yet to take my DSLR with me just because I cringe at like getting it wet or dropping <laughs> right. it or something <laughs> like that it doesn't seem very durable versus that but yeah anyways could you get into that a little bit for yeah, us yeah
0: so um like i said uh my my freshman year I went to Muskegon Community College and um, knowing what I wanted to do I kind of chased the baseball dream and I went over there and played baseball for one year um but they didn't have the program that I really wanted to do I wanted to do the television and digital media productions so after the first year of, of that um I transferred to Fair State and they have a really really good television and digital media productions uh program and uh I finished out college there, and right away, I was starting to look for internships. And it came, you know, the, the places I wanted to go were, um, yeah, I wanted to go to Bone Collector um, with Michael Wadell, um, Buck Commander, or um, Chris and Casey Kiefer here in, in Midland, Michigan, and uh, sent out my resumes and everything, and, and uh, a guy by the name of Jason Brown called me and he is a business partner with Chris and Casey, and he's he's the production guy. Like he started uh, his production company. He's from Beaverton, and uh, he started uh, Rack or what was it Jack Pine Productions? Then he rebranded to Rack Focus, and now, which when Chris and Casey came on to be business partners with him, they formed Rusted Rooster Media. And uh, he called me and said, "No, I want you to come in, and you know, I saw your demo reel, and I really want to want to get you in here, and and." meet the guys and everything and, and get you as, as an intern. Well, I was supposed to do a six month internship and they hired me after two months. And, um, so now that was six years ago. Um, so I've, I mean, I've traveled all over. Um, I filmed Chris and Casey Kiefer. I filmed Casey all the time, um, in whitetail white tail season. And, you know, I've been, all over. I've been to Italy, pheasant hunting, um, New Zealand hunting. Uh, I've been to the Yukon, Alaska a couple times, Northwest Territories on a sheep and caribou hunt, Alaska on a grizzly hunt. Um, I've been to a lot of places in just about every Midwest state hunting whitetails and, and turkeys and, uh, just getting to document everything with them. And, you know, sometimes I've been fortunate to go out and hunt, which, you know, me being as passionate a hunter. Wanting to get into this business, you want, you know, you love hunting, but when you get into it, you don't get to hunt much. Um, you do, but you don't, you don't get to hunt in the, in the times you want to hunt really. Uh, I haven't hunted a, a rut since 2012. So I actually, I take that back. I got to hunt one morning in Missouri. No, sorry. Two days, but I killed one morning in Missouri in, in 2015. Um, it, it, a freak thing kind of happened and I filmed Casey shooting a buck the night before and um he we had two days for the gun opener in missouri and we didn't really have anything to do and i had a tag and he's like well why don't i film you and you just you shoot my bow i'm like okay so we went out the next morning and i rattled up a buck and i shot it with his bow and <laughs> i killed one on camera and he was filming me so it was it was pretty cool how that happened but um i say i haven't hunted i haven't pulled the trigger and been able to be the guy killing in in uh, the rut but I've experienced every rut you know in Iowa and Kansas Missouri you know so I'm still learning and I still get to to hone my craft as a hunter as as well as a as a cameraman and field producer Um, but that's kind of the backstory of what I'm doing I even still now I I do a lot of farm management for Chris and Casey on their on their leases and everything and and I uh, filmed for our show called Rival Wild and dropped. And uh, I'm also the editor for Rival Wild. So everything you see with Rival, other than basically the graphics, um, I do everything but the graphics. Uh, and I have a guy who helps me with audio as well, Jason Freer. He does tremendous on that. And, and Lee Vanenbrink, he's, uh, he's Chris's um, field producer, and he does a tremendous job too. The kid's very talented. And uh, so I've, I've got a great group of guys around me and we're a great team you know and we get to put out some really cool content um but the second part of that question you asked me you know for new new guys getting into it and and what to do um honestly you know you were talking about a dslr and everything and and for anybody that doesn't know what a dslr is it's it's basically a camera that looks like a picture camera um that you take pictures with but it it, it also takes very good video a lot of them do um for advice out there, you know if you're just looking to you know do digital stuff and you know still wanting to do good quality stuff, I'm I really wouldn't go and break the bank and getting camera gear. I would uh, I would really try to find your niche first and find out how to tell a story um, with you know you could get a300 hundred dollar handycam and still out there still go out there and tell the best story there is and lay it down. And nobody's going to, not a lot of people are going to care about the quality. It's about the story and connecting with your with your audience and who you really want to connect with. Now, quality does matter, but um, a lot of guys that are trying to get in it are like, oh, I don't want to spend $5,000 and stuff like that because you also got to buy editing equipment and you also got to buy all the stuff to, to, you know, to produce it with. So I would definitely really try to figure out what kind of story you want to tell and use what you have you know if you only have a couple of Go- gopros use them in the most creative way you can use them and find out ways to make it to find out ways to do it how other people haven't yet you know you can't really re- reinvent the the in the tree type stuff you know what i mean that's that's kind of done the way it's done but um you know there's some there's some things that i want to do with the guys that not a lot of not anybody's really doing and Um, it's kind of with our setups and everything, but, uh, it's a lot of work and we just really haven't got there yet, but it's, it's coming. And, but other than that, for everybody out there, I I just really would find your niche and find out the story that you're trying to tell and go tell the best one possible and then just keep building from there. Really? How do
2: you not get, um, discouraged because the, the animals the, the game, they don't always follow your storyboard. Like, I can want to tell this story in, in one way, but if you're not seeing the deer that you're looking for, if they're not within range, if if something, you know, if the batteries die, um, how do you continue that story in, in those type of situations?
0: Um, You mean throughout a season? Or, you know, are you talking like any particular hunt?
2: Well, just in general, like, how do you fight through because what i've found trying to film hunts is a couple of things one if you're doing self-filming and you're you're packing in a long ways and out and in and out and and bouncing around it gets really old really quick it's easy to get burned out and then after that you've got all this footage or all these like, Hey, it's sit number 327. And I've seen zero deer today. Uh, you know, you've got so much of that and so much B roll to, to go through and, and everything like that. It, it, your story gets muddled, you know, whether it's through the season or, or, or through a hunt. And so that, that, I guess, like mental fatigue, how do you fight through that? Or is it just, that's your passion? So you're like, I've got it. This is this is the way that
1: I'm 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 putting it all together. Yeah, maybe we should put some more time into scouting, so we, we're not going 300 <laughs> days without seeing a deer. Yeah, maybe you should go somewhere <laughs> like, else and hunt. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> let's go back to Ohio. Yeah, no. I I totally understand what you're saying, and um, you know, it's it's difficult. There's a lot of times when it's Groundhog's Day, you know, and I I kind of revert back to, um, the first year that I was with Chris and Casey, we uh, hunted from the 25th of October till November 8th on one particular deer and we ended up killing him. Casey and I killed him. He was 175-inch deer in Illinois. And um that 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 hunt we were seeing a lot of deer. We were seeing a lot of good bucks. I mean, we were passing up deer that we probably should have been you know, really rethinking, but he had a he had, you know, a vision. He wanted this deer. Um fast forward the next year, we him and I hunted a deer, 183 inch eight point um, in Illinois and hunted them 18 days. And we got skunked where we never saw a deer. I think it was almost half of the sits in 18 days, never saw a deer. Now there was times we would drive to the, the property in the morning and it was like a 45 minute drive. And it's just like Groundhog's Day. It's the same thing every day. I remember one morning we got, I mean, it was later in the hunt. I want to say it was like day 15 or something like that and we get there and we park in the truck and we kind of got there early and he looks at me and I look at him and he's like so what do you want to do and I said honestly I want to fall asleep (laughs) you know and it's like and it's just one of those things you kind of just have to you just got to keep pushing now it's tough because you it's it's hard to stay on top of the ball because you, it's going to least, it's going to happen when you least expect it, you know, and if it does happen, but I guess to kind of stay in the groove and just like not get burnt out by it, Um I would say, you know, there's a couple different things you could probably do, but maybe switch up a tactic, you know, do something out of the ordinary, maybe push, you know, maybe you're, you're, I don't know how you're doing it, but maybe if one day you're going into hunt and you've been hunting this area where you're just kind of staying off, you're not getting aggressive. Maybe one night throw everything out the window and go for broke and just lay down that because it kind of gets you excited. It's like, I'm going to go in here. I'm either going to blow this deer out or I'm going to see him and he's going to be close kind of thing. Um, just try some different things and try doing something that you would never do before. Go on a different wind. You never know. You might think this deer's bedded or these deer are bedded in an area and maybe they're not bedding there and you're just going on a different whim. You know, um, I would just say, just try to spruce it up a little bit and just do some hunt from the ground. You know, I don't know if you hunt from the ground at all, just go in there and, you know, set up, set a ground blind up or hunt from behind a deadfall, you know, um, But as far as the footage goes, the thing is, is there's times where we've gotten a stand and I won't have Casey do an interview because I get lazy. And it's like, God dang it, like I can't do that. You know what I mean? You got to stay on the ball because, you know, last couple of years, we've had some rough years, him and I. And um, as far as just, you know, getting, getting, we've, we've been able to get on deer but it's just like one thing or another happens. Maybe the wind switches, or maybe they come on the wrong side of the tree or something. It's just like, God damn, like we're so close, but it's like we can't make it happen. Um, and you want to pull your hair out and you're hunting 60 plus days a year, morning and night, and you're tired and you want to go home, you know, and it's just, but I would just say that's kind of what Casey and I do, just to kind of, because we both feel it. And it's like, we need a break. We need to do something different. Let's go to this stand. And then it happens. It's like the least, you know, you least expect and it just happens. Um, That's what I would say, honestly. And, you know, in in filming, that would possibly change your storyline a little bit. Maybe you had, you know, story A going and you're like, oh, I'm going to go hunt on the ground for this deer tonight. And you have a different story now. Story B is you hunting on the ground and I'm going to take this new approach and your viewers are starting to they will start to grasp onto that as well. You know, you've been hunting from a tree stand or a saddle for the last 15 days. Now I'm going to hunt from the ground from the deadfall. And now it kind of starts building a little bit of drama and, you know, cause not a lot of people hunt from the ground, you know, and behind a deadfall, you know, it's just stuff like that, I think.
2: Yeah. Last year I, I filmed a, a lot and one of the days we were up at the property in the UP, I was just over it. And I went back in and I got right on the edge of this field edge, kind of like butted up to our property line on the on the corner of the neighbor's field and the public. And now there's not a ton of deer up there, but, you know, you, you see deer consistently. I saw 30 deer. I had them come right underneath me. I had two bucks chasing does over right on the edge of the public I had turkeys come down from roost right in front of me and I didn't have the camera because I was done (laughs) It was just like unbelievable you know I had a a fawn bed down right in front of me um and it's it's just like like you said like makes you want to pull your hair out because as soon as you don't bring it with you that's when everything kind of kind of happens that way yeah
0: and we had Casey and I had it last year too We were hunting in Kansas, and uh, we were going after a particular deer. He named him Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh, and uh, this (laughs) deer was, he was a big deer. I mean, he was maybe upper 60s, maybe possibly touched 170, and uh, we hadn't seen a deer hardly. I mean, we were were hurt to see does, but we knew we were in his area somewhere, and it was like a couple days have gone by, and it's like, So I never sit down when I'm filming. I never do because it can happen so fast and I have to be on the ball. Well, I got caught with my pants around my ankles and um, Casey decided, he's like, I want to rattle. So at this particular moment, I was actually standing up because I was filming him rattling and stuff and trying to get it live. I like to try to do everything live. I don't really like to do recreates if I don't have to. And um, so he rattles in this deer comes busting into this timber and i heard him before he did because i've got headphones in and my and my shotgun mic picks up everything i hear so much before any hunter you know what i mean You, i'm like there's times i'll sit there and i'm like i hear deer walking and he's like where and i'm like i don't know yet just because it just sounds like it's coming from your right but you have headphones on so it could be coming from your left so it's like but um this deer comes busting in on my side of the tree and I whip around and I see him, and I'm like giant. I said, it's Arkansas Dave, and he's like where and i'm I'm like he's at like twenty yards and uh he he's gonna he's walking from left to right and he's gonna come in a shooting lane for a shot at fifteen yards for him. I mean he's almost to the shooting lane, and this is kind of where I wasn't on top of things and I wasn't on it's the only time that I've ever busted a deer. And, um, I tried to turn when I probably shouldn't have and the deer caught me and bounded off. And I about tied my hunter safety system rope around my neck and jumped out of the tree because I felt, (laughs) I felt so bad because I'm there to do a job and I'm there to not act like another person in the tree. I'm there to act as one hunter. You know what I mean? We've got so much else, you know, in the tree and it's like, i felt terrible like for days like i didn't want i was going off on people i like for no good reason you know just because i was so upset at myself because we've been working so hard to kill this deer and we had the one opportunity that you get and i blew it and uh it was it was it's a tough pill to swallow casey i mean he's like you know it's just like you dropped a pass on the one yard line he's like you just got to get up there and get into the next play you know what I mean I'm like I understand but you know that was to win the Super Bowl basically and it's just like so those kind of things just you just got to stay on the top of it even though it's like you've been doing it every day and you think nothing's you're going to go into stands it's like we're never going to kill here I've done it so many times and then we kill a big one and it's like never expected that you know so (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's hard to do it, but it's just, I think it's kind of a mental thing. And I suffered from it too. Remember I I was telling you how it just became work for me to bring my camera in there. But then something like you just said, you had the best sit probably in a long time, seeing all these deer and turkeys. You didn't have the camera. And then you're like, damn it, I should have brought it, you know? And it's, so that's kind of, I think that's all in what you kind of want to do with it. And you know how far you want to push it really
1: yeah it's like this is my first year trying to film and so i got a camera arm and camera and all the gear from adam and like really got to commit to it so like the last three hunts i've been lugging this shit around and it's like <laughs> last night you know i walked a mile and a half back into the swamp and it's and we've had a ton of rain over here and so it was like right up to the edge of the top of my boots and I'm trudging around through it. And I'm like, finally, I, and it was a terrible night. Didn't see any deer. It was, it was terrible. But I get home. I'm like, man, I put it on the scale. I had all my gear strapped to my tree stand, and what was it like, sixty? Sixty, just over sixty. Holy pounds. crap! <laughs> yeah. So I was like, son <laughs> of a bitch. No wonder why I was fricking dying out there. There's so much gear. But, yeah. Well, this is. <laughs> I had extra clothes and all my other, I was like, I just threw everything on the pack. So
0: Well, in another way too, and, you know, I don't know if you guys do any hunting with each other, but that's another way to kind of pass the time and make it fun too is, is maybe say, Hey, I'm going to go film you tonight. Or, you know, you come film me or something. You don't have to do it every night, but start doing it with a buddy and, you know, that's doing it with someone else and lugging all that stuff and in in back, you know, three miles in the swamp, it makes it a little easier, a little more gratifying sometimes too.
1: Yeah. That's we're probably gonna do that Thursday if we if I can uh get away for the evening hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: but so you'd mentioned that you're standing up the whole time. Yep. And then you had also mentioned when you were doing the sits and switching it up and you had mentioned tree stand or saddle. So I know from uh, listening to some of your other podcasts and especially the one with uh Greg Godfrey that you Um, started saddle hunting long ago because of influence of john Eberhart, who's from your your local town there and then so this year did you get uh one of the tethered saddles It hasn't
0: showed up yet um uh i think it's on its way i believe i know greg's been really backed backed up with everything and and honestly i you know i told him that I mean, I do want to get one for sure, um, but I said there's a lot of orders that need to be filled before me, so, you know, you need to take care of that first. And um, Just because I have a lot of pre-hung stuff right now, too, and uh, I have some areas that I just hold off until the right time to go in there, so I didn't really want to screw with that. But, you know, if it was to come, I would be definitely going in, um, you know, to hunt a little bit with it this year. I did um, start hunting with a saddle when was it 2000 and oh boy 2010 or 11 I hunted it for almost three years like two and a half years um the first year I hunted with it I hunted with it off and on I would go from a hang-on to a saddle and uh until John Eberhardt told me to like you just got to go all in with it basically and really try it that's when I started doing it the second year I hunted exclusively with the saddle and i'm not gonna lie to you i struggled out of it i'm not saying it was bad but i i did struggle a little bit i was those were those years i was kind of i had a rough couple years i had i had trouble shooting out of it and um i don't i think it i I really don't know what it was i practiced out of it maybe i didn't practice enough um i was always missing deer high and maybe i wasn't aiming low enough or um i I don't know It, it was really comfortable Well, I had the uh, trophy line tree saddle. It was comfortable for, you know, being the only one out there basically that I knew of. Um, But now with the mantis, tethered mantis out there, like it was, looking back at it, it was like you were wearing a, like a, I don't know, like a big shield or something on you. It was just, it was cumbersome. It was hot. It was, it was, it was kind of comfortable, but, you know, two hours into the set or so you'd be, my hips would hurt, you know. Um but the benefits of it are astronomical. I mean I could basically get into any tree I wanted and now that I have the Wild Edge steps as well from Wild Edge, um I can do whatever, go wherever I want, do whatever I want. And my biggest thing is I really once I do get the the tethered mantis, um I'm gonna just shoot the heck out of it you know what i mean i i want to practice as much and if i do get it this year like i said i I, i'm i probably will go in and hunt a couple sets with it but i also want to get really good with it first and um you know for my wife i did mention too on that podcast with greg my wife she's kind of afraid of heights and she likes to bow hunt a lot too and um she i got her a saddle as well and and that took her fear heights basically away when i thought it was gonna do the opposite. But she really likes facing the tree, and she does really well out of it. She's killed a couple of deer out of hers. She doesn't have it anymore. Um, I got rid of both of them, but she really liked it, and she sits in hang ons now, you know. But um.
1: so how? I mean, when you're filming with that, I mean, it, obviously it's got to be a, a little bit more difficult, or it seemed it would seem to me anyway. If you got the whole, if you got the tree in front of you instead of having you know the camera right next to you. Yeah. Are you like f- filming around the tree, or well, when we in front of you? When
0: my wife and I filmed out of it, we didn't use a tree arm. Um, I okay. do know that guys do use tree arms. I think Mark Kenyon, I think, is actually using a tree arm. He's got to be because if he's filmed himself out of it, um, that might be a question for him. I've never filmed with a tree arm out of it. I rigged okay. up something that um, it's basically a bungee strap. Uh, but it's kind of like, uh, it's like, um, it's a different material and I would rig it up and it would stretch and I rigged it up on the camera, a a, a bottom mount and a top mount. And I'd put it basically how you would put like a, a sack around your neck and under your arm. And I would keep tension on that. And then I would film everywhere. You know what I mean? And, and you'd never miss anything that way. But if you do want to, you know, self film, you'd have to use a tree arm though. Right, but filming that way freehand yeah. was was simple. it was awesome, because you never missed anything yeah the
2: the saddle hunting thing's really really intriguing, and i I really kicked myself because I had tried to get a hold of Greg just in the last couple of months to to try and get him on the podcast, and i I couldn't get a hold of him and I was going when I went on Instagram to like message him. Um, I found one from like February where he would reached out to us, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> it was like one of those ones that either John had looked at it or 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 something because we were both, were both on the Instagram and it just got lost in the shuffle." Yep. And I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, it's terrible." So <laughs> Greg's like
0: uh, awesome guy. He's I don't know if you've met him yet or not, or if get a chance to talk to him yet. He's mm-hmm. super nice. Um, you should just reach out to him again. He'll he'll get back to you. I almost bet, and he's. I love having him on the podcast because he's like very upbeat and very like, you know, kind of, he just got a, he's just got an extra step in his talk, you know, and he's just, he's really fun to have on the, on the podcast.
2: Yeah. It's just, it's super intriguing. And I don't know, like talking to you about it is, is, is interesting because you did it with the older ones and it's not, I, I guess I see you know with social media you're inundated with things and if you're if you follow along i mean all the same people kind of are talking about all the same things. so you there's it's constantly like saddle hunting run and gun hunting public land hunting um and then like the traditional thing and it, it just like they kind of like are all you know it's just constantly 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 um it right in front of you. So, you know, the, the, for, the, the further I went looking into like going mobile and getting in there. Cause I, it's, you know, I remember all the magazines back in the day where in the back it had the, the, the saddles and it had the guy, it was probably a picture of John Eberhardt at the, even at the time, you know, and like some big gnarly tree leaned out shooting. And it just never seemed like realistic. And then you look at you know, all the things that are being posted and about how light it is. And, you know, it's it just kind of like right in the forefront of your mind. And like, you know, John says his pack was 60 pounds. Like, well, <laughs> you know, get rid of the, the stand and sticks, I think was like 30. Yep. So you get rid of that, you know, for uh, what's the, the mantises, 15, 15 ounces.
0: 15 ounces. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Without everything,
1: you know. Uh, it's, I'll take that. <laughs> right. And, that, and And that's the... Uh, we just got the uh, the new XOP stand. Oh, did you? With sticks, so yeah. And- uh, up until up until now, I've been I've always done like kind of a run and gun, you know. But I've always had a climber, so it's it limits your your tree. You got to have a pole tree, you know, and then you're out in the open if you can't find one with good cover behind it. So the the sticks, you know, and the strap on tree or, or stand definitely uh you can definitely get in better trees but the uh the saddle's definitely intriguing
0: yeah and i hunted out of a climber a couple times like like you said one year i i bought a climber and i was like i'm gonna go exclusively climber and just like you said you know uh you gotta find the perfect tree and i hated hunting with it in the mornings because it was so damn loud and i'm like why am i doing this you know like just because i want to go in other areas so then i was like well buy the money and or I'll I'll spend the money and buy some more stands and just do pre-hungs but now you see these guys going in with a stand on their back and everything and I I want to do it so bad but I you know with the time I have and everything it's like I don't want to be I wouldn't say wasting sits and I'm not saying I would be wasting a sit by running and gunning but this year I had a heck of a time trying to get out and put the stands up I I did get up because of you know, I, I've got a, a little daughter. She's 13 months old, you know, and my wife, she's a nurse. So she works, you know, 312s, and it seems like that lands on every weekend. So I'm single daddy a lot, you know, on the weekends. And <laughs> so it's like I'm just trying to find time, and and that's kind of one of the ways that I was like, well, I want a saddle because then I don't have to hang any. And for me to go in with a saddle already on me and put in whether it's screw-ins or sticks or you know, the wild edge steps, like that's nothing for me to do, you know, and, and get in any stand or any tree I want and go in, you know, anywhere because climbing up in the mornings in a saddle, I was super quiet. You know, it's all about how quiet you can be really. And it worked out really well. And I did actually end up killing a couple deer out of it, but I struggled a little bit. I'll be the first one to tell you. I just don't think I was as experienced as I should have been with it or comfortable, you know? Yeah.
2: Well, what's what's funny about like kind of what you just said was for for me it this year is almost like the exact opposite of what you said but it's all along the same vein as that i don't want to waste sits um so last year i hunted and for the past 10 years it's been exclusively climber i mean we've just hunted climbers and that's that's it so we were running and gunning with climbers but you're constantly searching for a tree, searching for a tree. And I started to, my, my hunting started to evolve last year into to, to look for different areas or different terrain or where, you know, target some buck bedding or, or just kind of do a little bit more in season scouting. And I messed up on probably one of the biggest bucks I've seen in Michigan. Um, he's, he's probably 130. I would say, um, but I waited for the right wind. I s- snuck into the spot. Um, I thought I thought the corn was going to be up, but they had cut it before I got in there. And so I walked across this five hundred yard open field with a the a good wind, snuck around and in, into this area that I'd never been in, except for I'd seen a good buck in there, like out in the bean field that was on the other side of this little pocket. I got up in there and uh, there was no trees to get up in with my climber. And I had to cross this little tiny indent, this little cutout in the field where I'd seen these deer a week before. And as soon as I stepped out into that wind, that buck stood up less than 60 yards from me and just took off. And it was just because I didn't have a, there was no tree for me to get up in with that climber. And I walked over across and got up a tree and I had two does get up right in front of me that were still, you know, upwind for me. So that was one frustrating thing where I saw the, the benefits of the, the hang and hunt situation there. And so this year I sold my climber. I mean, I still have a a old loggy by. I had a lone wolf sit and climb, which kind of alleviated a lot of that noise because, there's none of that hollow metal. And then that has those, the climbing bands are rubber and flexible. So it's a, it's a lot quieter and I got really efficient with it, but I sold it just to get out of my comfort zone so that I had to, I I guess that I went, would be going to different areas and and, in different things instead of just going back to the same trees that I always hunted. Um, because I felt like, I was wasting sits because it would be like, well, I didn't scout or I didn't put in enough time. So I'm just going to go to these areas where I always go. And I felt like I was hunting just to hunt rather than hunting to kill. And so that's, you know, (laughs) Saturday night I went into an area that I only looked at on a map and I walked in there three quarters of a mile, went over my boots, got up and I walked into an area and it looked exactly like what I was looking for. Like I, sh- I should have went further because there wasn't like a lot of buck sign right there, Yep. but I don't think I've ever been that excited to hunt a spot that I'd never been before. Then it, that didn't have like the buck sign. I mean, I walked right on the edge of this marsh where, you know, there was all the, the dogwood and, and, and bedding and like kind of a pinch point where it went up into like a little Oak, you know, plateau or whatever. And ended up seeing two does got back to the, the truck, you know, it took me an hour to get out of there in the dark with my headlamp died. And I was using a little tiny led light in my mouth. I went over both my boots on the way back out (laughs) and I got twisted up and I came out 300 yards down the road from where my truck was parked. (laughs) But I got back to the truck and I just felt invigorated to like go back in there the next time. And I was like more excited and I didn't feel like that was like a wasted hunt sitting in an area where, you know, either I was going to run into guys or I was going to see maybe one deer. Like I put myself in a position where I was like at any point a good buck could walk by here that's, you know, hasn't been pressured. Right. And that's really difficult to do, you know, where we're at here. But I, I switched it up to kind of get away from my comfort zone and waste sits, you know, just because it's easy. I can just find, there's a poultry right there. I'll just get up there and, and watch. And I guess that my thought process has changed from just wanting to see deer to wanting to kill. And it's not a a specific deer. It's not like an age class deer, but it's like, I want to put my, I want to put myself in in the best position to kill a good deer you know, that's in the area and I'm putting myself in spots where I think they're going to be versus where there's just deer sign.
0: Definitely. And then, you know, that kind of, you kind of brought up something that triggered something in my head where you're talking about, you know, you were walking across a wide open ag field. Um, Was that a morning or was that a evening when you were doing that? It was evening. evening. Okay. So, you know, and that's kind of, I got a question for you guys and, you know, a lot of guys out there are looking for that, you know, special potion. What is the remedy to kill a big, I mean, it's got to be X, Y, and Z, right? That's what everybody wants, you know? And I even kind of got into that a little bit. Like, if I do this and the barometric pressure is at 30.2 and the wind's out of the northeast and stuff like that, like, I'm going to kill a big buck. I know it. You know, I kind of got in that for a little bit. But then again, it, like, I was like, no, that's, that's, you know, those, those factors, you know, those things factor into it. But it's like trying to figure out more of your farm and figuring out your deer and what they do on that. Cause like you can listen to Mark Drury all you want and how things, you know, experiences he has and what he believes. I mean, that guy's a wizard when it comes to whitetails. But him on my eighty acres is gonna be totally different than it is on his Iowa eighty acres. So, you know, are you you know, what do you guys look for when you're when you're hunting? You know, are you going into particular areas only on certain winds or, you know, do you have, like, so I had this discussion with my cousin the other day, you know, we have an unbelievable crop of acorns this year and, you know, I've got white oak trees in my yard and they were dropping really early. So that kind of told me, like, I need to have a couple spots for just acorn sets, you know what I mean? And, um, do you guys have any sort of thing like that? Like, you know, how do you kind of go into areas and 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 what the tactics you're using to hunt do you look at barometric pressure do you use you know do you believe in the moon guide or the moon i mean what are you guys looking for
1: well i kind of look at the you know the moon guide whatever but days i can hunt i'm going to go hunt so i do play the wind i'm i'm a firm believer in that i don't i mean i used to have a scent lock suit but uh you can you can do everything you can possibly do but the the deer is still going to smell you. I mean right. if you're if you come in in the wrong wind and you're trying to get close to a bedding area you know you might see some deer but you're not going to see a mature buck or or a decent buck or even a you know mature doe. So I just try I try to pick my spots you know to go in on a uh, correct wind and then the main thing I'm looking for is I'm just trying to find spots where there's, there's no people, you know, or trying to hunt around, uh, people. So like when I'm scouting, I'm just out, you know, I'll walk through the woods and Adam, him had kind of laughed before. It's like, I pull up my onyx and like, I put a turkey every time I f- find a stand. He's like, turkey. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's someone's tree stand. <laughs> so, so I mark all those spots and then I can, kind of lay out how I want to hunt around it. But so that's how I do it. <clears throat> yeah, and so
2: like I I texted you. I said, you know, all all of my my tactics are uh, are unproven because I'm I'm switching everything up this year and um I guess one of the things that I I found out the other night when I was you know, in the middle of all that everything goes wrong type situation is, you know, when we were out west, we were 5 miles 10 miles from anything, just use an Onyx in like the middle of nowhere, just, you know, trusting at the compass and in, in our phones. And, you know, we had looked at the maps um, extensively before we went out there. And this is out in, in Idaho and land that we'd never been on before in our lives. And being able to read the map there and look at the terrain, and kind of lay everything out, kind of transitioned back here to whitetail hunting and John and I joked it was going to make, you know, whitetail hunting seem like no problem. So his, his 60 pound tree stand on his back, you know, we did, you know, a 100 and 105, 110 miles in eight days, you know, with our packs on our back and everything like that. So a couple miles in one day with that and with a four hour sit in between right. isn't, isn't really a big deal. Right. But so I've been, I've been looking at the maps and I've been basically looking at places now that are difficult to access. And I've been like, you know, the the guys from behind the bow, the hunting public, you know, DIY sportsmen. I've been and in, in, you know, obviously the hunting beast and Dan Infault and all of those guys that you know are uh consistently killing big deer and they're going in and I we talked, you know, at length with with Zach about not going in at you know two hours before dark they're 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 hunting whenever they can so they're walking in at first light and kind of like what you said where you're looking for a tree or anything like that they're just going in right as it's getting first light and and picking their way through there and they're going in you know that last hour of light where they can can hunt and just trying to put himself in a spot right so i'm looking at the map and, and kind of playing off of what those guys are doing, you know, they're, they're saying, okay, well this marsh area and this bedding area and these oaks. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm going in, I'm looking at the map before, before I'm even going in anywhere and saying, okay, well, where are the people going to be? So all the things, when you look at a map and you say, that probably looks good right there. That's what everybody else is seeing too. So I've had to like push my, thought process and, and to go, well, that looks like it really sucks out there, but that looks like it'd be good. It, it will suck to get out there, but it looks like a good spot. So half, three quarters of the guys aren't going to go out there. So I want to go farther. And so it's, it's kind of like pushing to the middle of all of these spots into things that, that look good and using a lot of the maps and, and Onyx, you know, in Google earth, when you zoom in, you can zoom in all the way and see game trails and, and that sort of thing. So just trying to, like John said, get away from people, but I'm, I'm looking at, I I was telling my father-in-law the story about, you know, getting in the water and all that stuff. And he's like, how did you find that spot? Like, why are you hunting there? I'm like, I looked at big pieces of state land around me that didn't have access, that didn't have 102 tracks going through them. And then I'm just trying to get away from people. And so that's what I'm doing.
0: Okay. Yeah, because the reason why I ask is, you know, I don't know if you guys listened to my podcast I put out yesterday or some I think it was yesterday about the deer that I shot last weekend. And I, um, he's the oldest deer I have on the farm. And I I did some things that I told myself I'd never do. I used to be that guy that was like, you know, oh, it's kind of sprinkling out. I'm not going to go out. The deer aren't going to be moving. But I kind of, you know, last couple years been throwing that out the window because some things that I've been witnessing, not only hunting, but like filming with Casey and uh, it's been telling me otherwise and I've been growing as a hunter the last four or five years doing that. So my plan going into that hunt was, you know, I knew this deer was in the area, didn't really know where he was, figured I, I kind of knew where he was going to be bedding or living his core area, but I knew I was within his core area. And uh, I knew I had a great wind. I had a wind out of the west, and I was coming in from the east. You know, it was in, in my face the whole time, and it was, it was about 12 mile an hour, I think. So it was kind of windy, kind of not loud, but a little windy. But I was coming through, I walked through a standing bean field to get to my stand, and I'm hunting a three-acre patch of woods. So I was like, you know, I'm I'm doing two things I told myself I would never do, and that's walk through an ag field in the morning to get to you know, my stand. And the other thing was going into a, to a small acre piece of ground when there could be deer bedding in that acres or, you know, in that woods that I would blow out, you know what I mean? And, and I, so I'm like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to know unless I try, you know, and that was kind of going back to telling you, you know, do something that's kind of out of the ordinary. You'd never do. Well, that was one of those moments. And I'm like, you know what, I'm never going to know unless I try it. I'm just going to do it. And just so happened that deer came by me and i didn't execute the shot but i had an opportunity so it kind of you know all those guys out there looking for that secret potion i i really don't think there is one you know what i mean it's just kind of got to go with your gut and try some new things and you might learn a little more than what you thought so that's kind of why i asked that and and just to see if you guys do anything out of the ordinary or you know or, or where your heads are with that i guess
2: Well, and with kind of like what you said with that buck last year, I mean, I'd seen that, that deer and it was on, it it was on a piece of public property. You have to buy a pass to go in there and it's bow hunting only. And it was all corn all around. This is probably maybe, maybe two acres of, of standing timber. And there was a little, little field. Well, on the other side of that, on the North side of that was a bean field and driving around scouting, you know, we saw a big buck and he bounded back into there. Well, it was standing corn. I was trying to figure out, well, is he going to be bedded in the corn or are they going to be in that little patch of woods? Is he going to be there? You know, when I get back there, I don't know. So the first opportunity I had to hunt it, it was a good wind. I drove in there and then all the corn was gone and it was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And so I just, I was like, well, I'll never, I'll never know if I don't go up in there. And what ended up happening is I learned a ton by doing that because I knew, and I guess I had had thought about, well, if he was going to be betting in there and if he was going to be betting in there with that wind, he'd be, you know, facing this way. So I went around and you know, made a big loop and I had a, it was a pretty stiff wind. So I I was able to get in there pretty quietly, but then I went back in there later and saw exactly where he was betting. And so now this year I'm just kind of, they, they switched the crops around. So I haven't been back in there, but it's like, I'm just kind of waiting for that, that right opportunity to, to go back in there. And now I'm confident that I can just walk in there and kill him. I mean, if he's there, I'm going to kill him. So I I don't, I I don't feel like that was like wasted. Like in the moment, like I was devastated because I, what, I didn't have the same mindset as I did, as I do now, you know, I had the the mindset of, well, I I don't have anywhere else to hunt. I guess, uh, you know, I might as well try it. And then I was right. You know, I was like validated and, and going in there. And it was just a matter of, I mean, there was one tree I could have got up and I would have been about six feet off the ground and it was I felt like there was this little ridge and I felt if he was going to get up, he was probably going to walk down that ridge and that we would have been nose to nose. So right. that was, that was out. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that that's just one of those little pieces that, you know, the, and I think that that deer will continue to use that. And that's one of those the things that the, the you know, those other guys that are, that we're, we're following along with are saying is that if that deer gets out of there alive, he's going to use that bet again because it, it worked.
1: Yeah, well, not only him, but another buck, too. I mean, there's a reason why he was betted right. right. He felt safe. And other, other bucks in the area, are going to do they're going to come in and find that. So even if he was killed, another deer is going to come in and move in that same spot, most likely.
0: Yep. Yeah, and that's, you know, Casey, I was telling you, he likes to go in the morning. He likes to go at, like, right when it's cracking day. You know what I mean? So he can, we can kind of... See and like methodically, like kind of not bump deer in a way. You know, if we can see him we can kind of hunker down or whatever we want to do. And it's worked out really well for us. But me, like in Michigan, um, you know, and you guys know as well. Like we have to be a 100% on our game at all times. You know, you're almost walking on eggshells every time. Every time you step into the woods, it seems like. So like going into this hunt. I wanted to be sitting in my stand like ready to go and doing nothing but just sitting there an hour before it was even thinking about getting light because my thought process was if I do bump any deer hopefully they just go off a little ways and maybe they'll have some time to to simmer down a little bit or you know what kind of was that or I knew they weren't going to smell me because I was coming in from you know the downwind side and it was it was dark I mean it was Blackout, and i don't use a light going in um so all they could do was hear me coming through the beans and i did bump one doe that i know of um she blew a couple times ran into the woods and i mean when i say a couple times maybe five or six times and that was about it um and then the next year i saw was him and he made his way well i saw a little buck too but next year i saw was him and he made his way all the way over and i still i'm trying to rack my brain of what he was doing i mean he made I I realize he took the path he did, um, but I'm trying to realize what he was doing. It it honestly looked like he was trying to check each little woodlot for, like, hot does. But, I mean, it was, like, the 12th or 13th, what was it, the 13th of October. I mean, that wasn't even rutting yet, but I don't know. He was just out for a stroll that morning, and, you know, he just happened to do what I thought or hoped he was going to do, and and I just screwed it up, (laughs) so... (laughs) <laughs> which still is killing me I I we're getting ready to take that cornfield off that he you know I lost blood going into and are they going to find him or we're not going to find him so I honestly think he's still alive um I went out this morning before I went to work I dropped my daughter off at at daycare and I got to drive by one of my farms to that farm actually to go back to work and I stopped in there and probably shouldn't have went in there when I did but it was the only time I had and I knew there was nothing in there because I can glass it all from the feet or from the road so I snuck in there and made sure all my cameras were good to go and and uh got out of there because I'm leaving Wednesday and I won't be back until like the 9th of November so it'll have a good time to to sit down or you know settle down and nobody will be in there and hopefully I can come back and maybe get another opportunity at him or one of the other bucks I mean I've got like three one shooter already got shot i've got three other bucks that that i think are still there they were there all summer so
1: we'll see now when you're talking about that you lost blood with that deer we just had uh a tracker on the podcast last night have you ever thought about you utilizing a, a deer tracker so one of my
0: buddies has got a tracking dog and uh, he wasn't available Saturday or that that weekend. He owns oh. his own business and uh, he um, just couldn't make it out. And I had called another guy, same thing. He was already on a track and he had two more that day. And it seemed like seemed like everybody I called just you know couldn't couldn't make their way out there. So then I I took my lab. I took her with me because I felt like if I got downwind of these little woodlots or you know the corn that she could possibly you know, maybe trigger something. I knew she wouldn't like find blood and, and, and take it, but it was one of those things like maybe cause she, I mean, if she, she smells deer in our backyard cause there's deer in our backyard all the time. Um, there's deer that bed in our backyard You can see the beds and you can see them under our mercury light. And, uh, she is just, she just doesn't like deer really (laughs) in the smell of them. So (laughs) I was thinking maybe a hunch, you know, she's, I only had me and my father in law, my dad, and my two nephews, and they were just kind of running around the woods. But I just felt like she, you know, she'd be running around all over, and maybe she would just stumble upon something, you know. Um, That was kind of my thought. But yeah, a tracker has did cross my mind. I did call a couple of them and couldn't, they just, everybody was busy. It was just like, wasn't my weekend, I guess. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now, when were you filming? (laughs) I figured
0: you were gonna ask me that. (laughs) I wasn't filming. No, Um, (laughs) I just actually this summer sold all of my personal camera gear, and uh, um, just because I have so much camera gear at the studio that I can take, and it was one of those like kind of last minute deals. I was like, you know, I kind of talked myself into going that night, the night before, and I didn't have a cameraman available with me. and I'm like, well, I'm I'm not gonna miss the second day of a cold front, so <laughs> it's just one of those things. And I ha- honestly I have uh, a couple POV cameras, I got a couple GoPros and um, stuff that I usually rig up and hunt with, and just to get like a wide angle shot over the shoulder or something around my bow. And I actually didn't even take them in and see, <laughs> I missed it all, <laughs> so I kind of kicked myself in the butt for that, but. Um, i don't know it's could you could you tell where the
1: shot where did you hit him? i hit him
0: high shoulder um but i actually think i hit him i think i honestly hit him a little higher than i don't know i it was i i rushed the shot because he was in my last hole um and he was going to get by me and uh When I shot him, it was, uh, the biggest, loudest crack I've ever heard. And he ran off and the arrow came out after, you know, 40 or 50 yards. And, um, then he just walked off. He just kind of stopped. He licked himself and walked off. And then I'm, I'm like, I shot him on the right side and he walked away from me. And all he would show me is his left side the whole time. So I never saw where the hole was, um, But uh, I left my arrow, came back later that day, and I got eight inches of penetration. So I went through the first shoulder, and then it lodged in the backside shoulder. Um, So I was trying to, and the broadhead broke off in him. And uh, I was trying to, you know, look at a a, deer anatomy all day. And I was, like, trying to dissect it from these pictures and everything. And I'm like, how far does the lung go up behind the shoulders? And, you know, it's not very much. There's about, like, three inches that there's really nothing there. And I think right. that's where I got it, you know. And uh wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't my equipment's fault. It was my fault, you know. It was I should I say anybody, it was my fault. It was, what I meant by that is it wasn't my bow's fault. I shot my bow after that. It was it was shooting great. Um wasn't the broadhead's fault. Wasn't Arrow's fault. It was all my fault. I mean I just I rushed it and you know I think I was more I watched the deer walk to me for 45 minutes so that didn't help by any means um but I'm I I might be trying to look for an excuse I don't know but uh (laughs) it just I don't know I've been I've been thinking about this deer since last year and once I saw him this summer and I watched him in the beans all summer I filmed him um I've got velvet footage of him I've you know, I'd go and glass him. I, I knew where he was going to be every night. I could, I could tell you, Hey guys, you want to come out and see this deer? And he'd be there, but he did move ranges from summer to fall. Like, you know, he moved, uh, well, it doesn't seem like a long way, but he moved about a thousand yards, um, as a crow flies ranges from summer when the velvet came off. Um, so I don't know. It's, I'm just hoping he's still out there and still going and Maybe get another opportunity out him, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, by the sounds of it, it's, that's pretty, uh, I mean, low percentage kill shot. I mean, high, high shoulder, yep. forward like that. Yeah, and that's what but. everybody
0: was saying on all forums, archery talk. I was reading everything, and everybody's like, you're in for a long night, you know, and the deer usually don't bed down. They usually run, and I'm like, well, if I only got one lung, I mean, deer can live on one lung. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's man. So he just didn't act like he was hurt, really. He didn't limp when he walked away. He licked himself and it was kind of like, almost kind of like a, somebody came up and punched him in the side. You know what I mean? That's about it. And um, I don't know. He's, get, he's got my broadhead with him. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so...
1: So with that, what I always ask this question: What what equipment? What bow are you shooting right now?
0: Um, I shot him with my carbon air, uh, with a PSE carbon air, shooting seventy two pounds. Okay. Um, I shot. I was shooting a Black Eagle arrow, which I'm not now. <laughs> I'm shooting a new bow and new arrows now. So, <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, I uh, shot him at twenty yards. Um, I'm only shooting about two hundred and. 87 feet per second with my setup i'm not a very big guy I've got a 28 inch draw and um so that's about a, as much as I can get out of a bow but I got good penetration right. I was surprised um but now what
1: what's that wh- what broadhead are you using i was
0: using a rage hyperdermic
1: okay yep
0: Yep. i i uh I was trying out some new broadheads this year and It was just it wasn't like they were not performing the way I wanted them to. It was just it's kind of a head deal right now, and it was like I've been shooting rage for eleven years, and I've never had an issue with a rage. Um, I've watched more deer die with a with a rage in sight than anything else, Uh, and it's with rage. You know, it's it's you either love them or you hate them. There's no either guys have had the worst experience with them or guys have had the best experience with them and i've had great experiences with them and like i said it's it wasn't the broadhead's fault i actually was impressed that the broadhead blew through one shoulder and went to the other shoulder and got eight eight inches of penetration i was impressed with that um i'm not gonna stop using them just because of that but you know i don't know just one of those things
1: it definitely did its job The i had i shot i used to shoot uh the original Rage Broadheads and I had, the, the buck I killed down in Ohio was, I just, I didn't have a good blood trail or anything. I had to wait and find it the next day and just found it by following the trail. But the new, the hypodermics and the new Tri-Pans are definitely a, a step above Yeah. what the old Rage used to be. Right
0: before they came out with the Tri-Pan, I was, I exclusively shot the Rage Extreme. And uh, yeah. one year I shot a doe like right at the point of the shoulder, like, I mean, right, like basically it was lower, I hit my deer high, Um, I shot a doe lower in the shoulder, like right in line with the heart basically, and it blew through both shoulders and stuck in the ground behind her. And when that happened, I said, this is, you know, and a lot of guys are like, you can't get penetration with a Rage. Well, I'm sorry what kind of experience you had with them, but I've had great experiences with them, so. After that, and then it was really hard for me to go from that to the, to the hypodermic. And the first deer I shot with a hypodermic, it went 11 yards and died, a Missouri buck that I killed. And um, and I don't know, it's just one of those things. I haven't tried the tripan yet, and I really don't need to, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I shot last year. I, I ended up just killing a doe on, it was actually New Year's Eve, we're all up north as a family and i went out and i was like well i'm gonna go kill a deer for the freezer so i shot a doe and she was actually like frontal and when i shot she ducked a little bit and it it like knocked her right backwards (laughs) and she was dead by the time i mean i thought maybe it hit her in the spine i was gonna have to go and you know either put another arrow but by the time i got to her she was already expired so yeah the tripan's definitely a works quite well <laughs>
0: yeah so what do you guys you have any trips lined up here to do some whitetail hunting this fall at all
2: no i'm I'm headed up to our property for the, the first week in november um you know we used to we hunted in ohio for a few years back and forth and this year kind of a lot of our time went to to our elk hunt i mean we i took oh i had 11 days off of work and we hunted out there we ended up hunting for eight days um, so that ate up a lot of uh, – my work is pretty flexible, but um, family time. You know, I've got a 3-year-old daughter as well, and my wife's a nurse and works 312, so I got everything you <laughs> were saying. You're in the same like, boat, I, man. <laughs> I, I, I know all about it. So, so yeah, I, uh, that's pretty much – I'm going to sneak away for,
1: for another week. Yep. I got the okay for my wife, so. There you go. Yeah. I'm just hunting around around here and then up north, you know, I hunt Manistee County with my, my buddy's got a cabin up there, but my focus mainly is my son, he's 15. And so I'm taking my time with him. Like that's what my focus was last year. It's why I didn't kill a deer until the end of the season. I was just trying to get him a, him a deer, get him on, you know, get his first first deer with his bow under his belt. So, so I think, this weekend we're going to go up north and then probably the following weekend so that's cool no more no big trips yeah the the idol was uh was my big trip for this year yeah <laughs> but
0: yeah i've got ohio um i'm gonna go back down i had i had three good days to hunt um i i every sit i had i saw at least 130 inch deer but it just there were three-year-old three-year-olds and i'd really want a hundred not I'm not looking for an inch I'm looking for like an age you know I want a four-year-old deer out of state for sure and especially on you know with Chris and Casey's leases we're trying to do some management you know where you know we just don't want to kill the three-year-olds right now and we've got a lot of does too so uh, I I plan on going back down to Ohio one more time at least maybe twice uh, hunting for a buck but then I think us, you know, camera guys and stuff like that, we're going to try to do a late season hunt down there if the opportunity presents itself, just to go kill some does and you know, have like a couple of days down there just filming everything and just kind of having deer camp, you know.
2: Yeah, that that's one of the things for for me is I've I've considered um going back down to Ohio even for just the later season because I don't think it it's like goes into February or something. Yeah, yep um down there so you know by the time we're done hunting up here there's still hunting to be done right and for for me it's a 7 hour drive to to our property in the UP where i mean the last couple of years we've seen some decent bucks i saw a really a really legit um michigan buck up there um uh, probably probably went 130 i would say maybe a little smaller, but it ha- had a lot of points. It was at least a 10. Yep. I, w- I would have guessed it a 12 point. And then, you know, in Michigan, that's kind of what you're, that's what we grew up on. It was 8.10 point, 10 point right. not, not inches. Um, But where we were hunting in Ohio it was like a six hour drive and the deer down there are just in a different class, yeah. you know? So I'm I'm considering making Ohio more of a, a a later season like once once you're done hunting in Michigan move down to Ohio yeah
1: I could probably do something like that once once although February ice fishing yeah (laughs) I I like heading over there towards the bay there and get some walleye. oh yeah
0: good walleye fishing over here for sure
1: yeah if the ice is good yeah (laughs) yeah
0: I uh I've been wanting to get a lease in Ohio with some buddies and we just it's just hard for me to justify the price right now when I don't know how much I'll be able to hunt it. So that's going to be something that's probably you know a little later in life. I've got a really good friend that lets me come out and hunt Missouri whenever I want. I didn't hunt there last year, and it's looking like I probably won't be able to hunt there this year. But I've taken some pretty good deer out there late season when there's food and everything. And um, I love hunting Missouri. It's a lot of fun. It's a 10-hour drive to him, which isn't terrible, you know, since our kansas lease is 14 hour drive <laughs> and that's that 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 hmm. gets old but um down to ohio it's only a five hour drive for us so ohio is you know it's relatively cheap over the counter they did they did boost their prices i just bought the non-resident license with a either sex tag and a and a doe tag and i think it was like 202 dollars i think it was which is still pretty okay, cheap. It went up
1: a little bit yeah yeah i think it was it was 150
2: one, well, i think it was 160 for both yep. yeah yeah for both yeah. so um is it the is it the confidence thing is it the management thing or why not state land why why a lease i mean um because we we've done real well i mean as far as like seeing deer and getting opportunities on on state land down in ohio it, yours was a what 150
0: yeah yeah so, so um you know it, it's kind of a more of a time thing I guess you can say um right. I felt like Well and that's
2: that's what I was meaning by the confidence thing not confidence in like okay ability yep ability spot yeah. it was just more of like you now you know where you're going to yep, go Yeah I understand that, yep
0: and, you know and that's something coming into this year and like you you guys had said you know earlier in the podcast about you know these these new things coming up with with the the saddles and the traditional you know it kind of goes in waves you know and and now it's the DIY kind of like you know state land public land do it yourself like run and gun kind of stuff and i've kind of lashed onto it i really want to do it um but in my head i'm thinking you know the only time that's to good and go to better your odds is probably in the rut when i can't hunt you know when i normally don't have a lot of time to hunt which is you know you can kill a deer anytime if you're in the right place at the right time doesn't matter where you're at um You know it's something i it's definitely on my radar and i really want to do and it's that's a that would be like an ohio thing for me like i want to be able to find a spot just over the border that's a good hunting you know that's you know i can get to in like two or three hours and be able to maximize a full weekend you know or take off on a friday morning and hunt thursday you know or friday saturday Sunday um I, th- I think that's probably where i'm at with it right now it's something that's definitely on my radar lee actually our other field producer he's hunted uh he hasn't in the last couple of years but he's got a spot that he goes into indiana and he's done really well down there in at state land but even he said he's like it took me years to figure out that area and, and finally he's like i had a lot of years where i just didn't do very good and then it just started clicking for him you know and and uh I want to do it. It's just I haven't made the leap to do it yet, you know.
2: Right. Well, it's it's, it's intimidating. Like I said, this year I've, I've never uh, – I've been out, I think, four or five times and not sat a tree that I've ever been in or hell, even seen before. Like I'm not going into spots where I've traditionally gone. It's just a matter of reading the sign. And I guess – as far as seeing i i did put a couple of trail cameras out on one of the the pieces um of public right right near us and i got one decent buck on there and another little buck um but i've only got bucks on my camera and it wasn't an abundance of deer it was just it was just bucks so it was a little bit of validation of at least i'm choosing the right areas or are or, or, or getting in there but you know it is it is kind of intimidating to to just say, okay, well, I'm just going to go and sit in here. But I think, you know, I know you had talked to uh, Greg Litzinger and then um, we talked to um, Curtis Zabel from uh, behind the bow and talking to those guys and, and their stories of, you know, I mean, Greg the one year sat a whole season and saw nine deer the whole time. And, you know, Curtis in his, Uh, film, the life of a public land bow hunter. I mean, he chronicles how many days he is into the season and how many deer he's seeing or not seeing and just the the grind it out. And I think for me, that's been a a kind of like, not necessarily like a confidence booster, but just lets me know that, you know, these guys that are getting it done on state land, it's not just go out one sit, kill them. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of bouncing around and a lot of work. And so it's just a matter of, of like you said, you know, with your buddy in Indiana that is figuring it out. Putting your time in. But each one of those little things, like for me, is a like a confidence booster. Like, okay, so I've only got bucks on camera. They might not be great bucks, but they're the bucks that are in the area, and they're where I set my cameras. So that's a little bit of validation. Now just move further and, and try and figure out where they come from and, and that sort of thing. Like I said, getting back into those spots where – There's not human sign, you know. When I came out in the dark, I didn't have the brightest light, I'll tell you that. But I didn't see tacks everywhere and ribbons and and everything like that. So all these little wins. But it's been a definite, you know. It's 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 tough to 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 only have so much time and and put it all in there. But I guess I would challenge you to say that if you had a lease and you were doing farm work down on your lease and all that stuff, the time that you'd be taking to go down there and manage your food plots and doing that sort of thing. You could also be scouting on public land until you figure it out.
0: Right, 100%. And that's stuff that I've really, you know, fought with myself on. It's like you you do so much work for yourself on doing, you know, putting food plots in and and hanging stands and everything. Why not take one year and put put the time and effort into finding a piece on on a map, on on X or something, going down there and scouting it and, you know, really – trying to hone your skills and see how see how you can do it you know and i honestly i think it might be just an excuse but i really want to be able to hunt it in the <laughs> rut and or not even just the rut my favorite time to hunt's the 25th through the you know the first of november 25th of october so i you know and casey and i usually leave around the 20th to the 25th so we're usually gone until thanksgiving this year's a little different i might actually be able to be in Michigan for the gun opener for the first time since 2011, which will be fun if if I'm here. Um, but I think it's been, yeah, like that time and in and, uh, intimidations a lot of it too because you know I grew up not having to need to think about public land. You know I've always had a private land at my at my uh, fingertips basically, and you know I just haven't as of until as of recent really thought of it but it's it's something definitely on my radar and and i agree with you 100 percent. you know putting in that time and trying to figure a piece out and and really do it um it's definitely something i really been thinking about well
2: good man i i don't know it's really easy to get down on michigan because of the hunters and the the pressure and all the pettiness of my spot near spot you know, that sort of thing. It doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot for the sport. And I really enjoy, you know, like you had said, you know, talking to like-minded people, but you know, chances are you and I can look at the same map and we're not going to go to the same spot. Right. Unless we're going to the spot that just looks like, like I said earlier, like the easy spot, like where everybody's going to be drawn to. So, you know, once you, I, I think, try and at least map out where the guys are going to be you can try and get around yeah
0: that's something that too you know I've got a couple buddies that have been wanting to do the Ohio public land as well together and and that helps too having people to do it with you know instead of just going down by yourself and you know having people go with you and and kind of putting a couple minds together and, and doing it so that's something that's you know, it's with it's it's in the talks, and I think it'd be great to do a public land story on television. You know what I mean? And and now with the way that our show Rival Wilds going, you know, with with us being in front of the camera a little more, you know, I want to do a storyline here in Michigan, um, following me with Chris and Casey and all as they do their hunt. Like they might have a storyline in Kansas or Ohio. Mine might be Michigan. It's me just trying to kill a Michigan deer and having someone film me the whole year, you know, and doing that. I think that'd be really cool. Um, and even on a same thing on like a public land thing where you just dedicate yourself to public land and, and really try to try to get it done that way as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're definitely drawn to the, the public land guys. I mean, if you can't tell, but it's, it's just, you know, it it made, I don't want it to come off the wrong way because, you know, you, you had said earlier about the, you know, the TV guys getting a, getting a bad rap and everything like that, but things that are, I, I guess, more that you can relate to, they're more attainable. And it's one of the things where, you, when you were talking about hunting Kansas, hunting Ohio, hunting Missouri, you know, I didn't hear you talk about filming their hunts and on their leases in Michigan, you right. know, and it, it's, it's just, you know, I think even for, for yourself, as you're targeting these older age class deer, you know, in, in Michigan, it's not that 175, you know, ghost buck, you know, that that you, you blew or, or anything like that. It's, it's always a good deer for Michigan. And so the, the public land struggle, I guess, and, you know, getting mature deer, whatever the, the antler size, um, is, is one of the things that, like I say, I think we're drawn more to, and also that, that struggle too. And I think that that's one of the things that most of these public land guys and the in that both the information and the way that they're putting their their product out there is they're showing all the, the struggle and the, 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 the failures, I guess yep. where, and it's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, whatever ends up for you, 21 minutes of the, the TV slot versus like the whole, the whole story, you know, they can make it as long as right, they want. To.
0: Exactly. Yep. I totally understand. Yeah. Yep.
2: And so, and so for that, you know, the the guy sitting here in his, in his garage, you know, dreaming about, you know, shooting, you know, whatever age class deer is their trophy. It kind of goes back to the one buck, the antler point restrictions. Everybody's going to have a different trophy. But I think everybody relates to that, the hard work struggle that's kind of in your, I don't know, in, in your social class or whatever, yep. you know, with the... $250,000 combine rolls by and you're <laughs> sitting there watching a, you know, a Boone and Crockett buck. And it's, it's not, it's not the one you were after. Yep. So, And it's all relative you know, to, you
0: know, to where, <laughs> oh, for you sure. know, I mean, look at Lee and Tiffany out there, he's trying to kill six-year-old deer, you know, and we're just trying to get a glimpse at a two and a half to three and a half year old deer, you know, and it's all like, yep, right. and everybody's like, oh, I want to see these TV guys to come to Michigan and hunt my property and kill this deer there. Well, you know, it's probably not going to happen because those deer i mean they do exist here but also they have a lot of things out in you know different parts of the country that we don't have which we have a million hunters or whatever the number is you know and here's a, a little stat for you which is i when i heard this it was just unbelievable so casey and i hunted iowa last year all season well where we go where we have property that county of iowa There is more bow hunters in Michigan than there is people in that county. That's crazy. (laughs) And you wonder why there's giants out there. You know, like you drive down roads and you won't see houses for a while. You know, but just think about that. There's more bow hunters, just bow hunters in Michigan, than there is people in that county. That's a whole county. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just that alone, you know, pressure-wise, that just that alone, I mean, you're going to see big deer, you know, so it's just all relative. Yeah. Yeah, I
2: think, I think it's all, all good because it, that same, I just want to shoot my buck guy. That's the guy with the bone collector shirt on who loves watching the giants fall, you know, on TV, you know, so it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's getting the, the sport out there. And what I, what I thought was interesting earlier when you said that, you know, you're, um, you were able to show one of your hunts on TV at school. Um, I don't think you could do that today. At least not, <laughs> you could. not no, here. You couldn't. So, <laughs> no, in, in, in the PC world, I think the, the, the hunter, you know, and I, I think if you were to look at hunter numbers, uh, you know, across the board, um, they're going down and it's, because of all of this PC, everything, you know, I, I don't know. I don't even know social. Uh, what do you call it? political correct? You know, you, you can't show guns. You can't show blood. The way that YouTube's changing, and and the kids aren't being exposed to it. So anything that's out there that's actually on TV and putting a good product out there, then that's promoting hunting and good ethical um, sportsmanship. I guess. Is good for the yep for the sport as a whole for
0: sure. You know, and I had a guy come up to me the other day, just the other day, and he goes, he know he knows what I do and everything, and he's like, why do you still hunt Michigan when you have all of, you know this other stuff that you can hunt in other other you know other states? And I said, you know, I really don't know, but I said I do know that I grew up a Michigan hunter, and you know, Michigan hunting. You know it it runs deep, like it's a tradition. And I said that I get more gratification trying to kill a three and a half year old deer here in Michigan, whether that whatever the size is, than I am trying to kill a 160 inch deer somewhere else. It's just one of those things. I can't tell you what it is. Maybe it's just the challenge of so many people are here and there's not a lot of those deer around. So. My three-and-a-half-year-old, possibly 120-inch deer is like a 160-inch deer other places. Maybe that's what it is. But I, I just, and it could be the convenience since it's right here in my backyard, but I've hunted, you know, my family farm that's been in my family for, you know, almost a 100 years. You know, they used to run horse and buggy and cattle on it. The cattle fences are still up on it, you know, on in some areas. So there's a lot of history there. You know, my great-great-grandfather ran cattle on that, and um, that's, you know, it's just a lot of history, and it's a lot of fun, in deer camp, you know. I, like I said, if, you know, I love chasing these deer, and, you know, I just love (laughs) just trying to figure them out. Like, last weekend when I had an opportunity at that deer, I mean, that was a -a four-and-a-half-year-old Michigan deer that I was trying to figure out, and I got an opportunity at him on October 12th you know or 13th I can't remember the date now but it's like what people say the quote-unquote October law is coming into which I don't really believe in you know but some people do that's just my opinion and um, I got an opportunity at that deer everything that I practiced it paid off you know and I did something that I always told myself I'd never do and, and it worked out for me except like I said the shot <laughs> So. But I just, I just love that chase here in Michigan, you know? Yeah.
2: It's, it's one of the things that I struggle with driving all the way up to the, to the UP. And I, th- I don't think I would go up there this year. I mean, cause I'm, I'm excited about hunting down here and I feel I'm trying to get out of, you know, that comfort zone. So I'm going to go up there. I'm only going to have so much time and it's going to be however much of a grind to just fall back into like, well, if I go here, I can see deer versus going out and, and, and venturing out because it's, it's pretty intimidating country Yeah, up there. I mean, from, from, from the Northern edge of our property to the nearest road from the back edge of our property is three miles. So of state. So if you were to get twisted up in there, you could go for a long ways. Um, so, it, but the deer camp aspect, you know, my father-in-law is going up there. My brother's going to be up there. And uh, that's, that's why I'm going is, is for that, that tradition. So that I think above all else in Michigan is why people still hunt Michigan. I mean, it's still hunting and I I mean, I know. And I think, I think uh, I I would have to like, in, in your case, I don't want to like target you specifically, but for anybody who says that I don't hunt, I don't even hunt in Michigan anymore, it's like, it's almost like they're not like a real hunter because it's just like, they just want something easier or they want, they want more gratification or, or whatever. Um, because it, to me, it, just like you said, it's just, tra- it's like a, the tradition of hunting yeah. in Michigan. It's, it's, it's embracing the struggle. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> and
0: I'll never, ever stop hunting Michigan. You know, I've got, I've got, you know, and I never, I don't want to be that guy. It's like, I'm just. When I die or when I, you know, I want all these bucks on the wall. It's not that. I've been fortunate enough to put four deer on the wall, though, and my deer, the biggest one's 130 inches. You know, I've got anywhere from 120 to 130, that, you know, and those are great deer. They're giants to me. I love those because, you know what, Whenever every time I look at those deer, I'm like, the stories that come out of them, that's, that's all I care about. You know what I mean? And I it's, – it's not – Everybody gets wrapped up into inches, and I do too. I have. It's like I always talk. It's like, don't ask the guy how many inches the deer was. Ask him something else. Like it's not about that, you know. I just, it goes in stages, like in my opinion, you know. I I shot a couple hundred inch deer, and then I wanted to go a little higher than that, so I did that. And I wanted to go a little higher than that, and that's kind of where I'm at now. And but I shot a two year old deer, and now I shot a three and a half year old deer, and that's what I want to target right now because we don't have a lot of three and a half year old deer, so. It's, it's easy to get wrapped up into that because that's what our social world and our hunting industry is, you know, it's promoting. And I'm not saying TV shows are all good because I think a lot of our TV shows are promoting bad things as far as like, you know, you know, you're not accepted unless you shoot 150 inch deer. Well, no, that's not right. You know what I mean? Like that's, I, I don't like that part of it. And I feel like, you know, some TV shows are portraying that as well. And I, I don't want to get wrapped up into that either. So, and you know how you're saying about the Michigan deer or the upper peninsula, we, I actually have a family deer camp up in Delta County up right on US2, um, right by, uh, um, NEMA and, uh, Rapid River right in that area. And. Oh yeah. I've hunted up there. Yeah. And we have, we only have like an acre of private land, but everything's public around it. And my buddies and I, we've been talking for years. We're like, we need to go up there we have a cabin to stay at and like just go hunt public land and we just haven't done it, you know, and it's right there at our fingertips, you know, and we get cheap tags cause we get, you know, the, I guess you'd call them cheap. We get the resident tags. So it's like, why not go up there for a week and just have deer camp, just have fun, you know, and just haven't done it yet. So that's on the radar too. <laughs> well,
2: anytime you're headed up that way, let me know because, uh, like our, my camp's about an hour from there. Okay. Um, and I've hunted, um, state land on, uh, Stonington. So like on the Stonington Peninsula, yep. um, which is, I think back, back maybe just a little bit to the East of that, Yeah, but I've hunted there quite a bit. So, you know, if you're, if you're going up there and you want to learn some public land right there, I can, <laughs> I can point you to some, <laughs> to some areas. Definitely,
0: man. And that's, I haven't been up there since I was probably 17. Just because I've been so busy and nobody's really gone up there in a while, and uh, it might be something we just need to plan a trip and just go up there in the in the summer or spring or something and do some scouting and and uh, just get a group of guys whoever wants to go up there and just have like a guys' weekend, you know.
1: Do our own little uh, Michigan public uh, public land uh, competition. <laughs> there you go,
0: that'd be fun. So, so yeah. Well, I got one last question for you guys. You know, we're coming up here in a couple hours, which has been awesome and love the conversation. But I got one more p- question for both of you. Um, you know, without basically keep your bow and, you know, the the obvious things out of it, but if you had one piece of gear that you couldn't live without, what would that piece of gear be and why? Well, so that I, – I don't know.
2: <laughs> um, I, I would I would say, and I was asked this on an, another podcast recently. And I think most importantly for what I'm doing right now would be a compass. (laughs) Um, and that is just, you know, from, from the time I was like, I just told you, like our, our property in the UP, if you go North, it's three miles to the next road. So I was given a compass at 10 years old and said, if you ever get lost head South. And not the greatest thing to tell a 10 year old, because (laughs) I probably came home and thought if I ever get lost, I just need to go South and I'll find what I'm looking for. Um, but from our time out West from, you know, all of the the time that I've ever been hunting and in the woods and in unfamiliar territory, that is the one thing. And I mean, I don't know if that's the answer that you're looking for because it's not like that hunting piece of gear. That's that golden token right but that's the piece of gear that's i don't leave the truck without a compass let alone
1: you know anywhere else so well i'm kind of the same thing but i'm going to take it more digital i'm my onyx is especially after out west Yep, i mean like i'll get up in my tree and then i'll sit there and look at you know all the surrounding properties and and try to scout in a new spot. I mean, so, and or sit at home and lay in bed, you know, the night before, and I'm like, all right, well, this is here. I want to check this out. So my biggest, especially after being out west and really utilizing that that tool out there, I think, I mean, the onyx is my, you know, besides my, yeah, like you said, bow or my tree stick. Right, yep. But, but the, Besides the obvious but the, but, things, you know. Yeah. But the other answer
2: to that question, as far as like with those obvious things, um, I think the most important one to me, as far as uh, actual bow hunting and, and related uh, situations, is I hunted for probably the first 20 years without a rangefinder, right? And that cost me a lot of deer yep. because it was the, the Kentucky windage. So I think <laughs> if you were going, if you were going to be, you know, setting up, Beyond your bow and your tree stand, um, is to have a range finder and have it tuned to your equipment. Yeah. Because there's going to be a variation between your buddy's rangefinder and yours. And that to me, as far as important gear would be number one. Yep.
1: Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. Like The other day I was out, I had morning hunt and I got down and I ended up going over to another spot. Picking out a new tree, and ended up clearing some shooting lanes because it was nice and windy, and I was jumping around. And I got halfway back to my truck, and I looked down, and my rangefinder was—I—I I buckled it onto my my uh, bino harness. Oh! And uh, I looked down, and the clip was there, and no. So I spent an hour and a half backtracking, and finally found it. I was pretty sick to my stomach. Uh, but.
0: And they don't—they don't just give <laughs> those things away either. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. yeah
1: but yeah range finder is definitely up there
0: Yep. Yeah. well cool well i want to thank you guys for coming on here and doing this and just getting the time to you know to do it i know it's getting kind of late i always do this late at night and i say that every time but it's about the only time i got to do them so but uh yeah we do the same <laughs> yeah and you know i i enjoy your guys podcast i listen to it every week and I keep doing everything you're doing man it's it uh i love listening to you guys and hearing everything and all the guests you have on and you know and like I said I appreciate you guys coming on and doing this with me as well so.
2: yeah no problem and, and you know for for you to say that it's really you know because we don't have, I mean you, you can go on and look and see the downloads and you don't know who they are who's listening or where they're at I mean I see that there's some in Russia and there's some here and there but you know it's, it seems to be mostly the United States so I just think it's people around here or, or like whatever so you know all the feedback that we get and i'm sure you do too is is just great you know just to to hear people that are that are listening and that are following along and are interested so yeah. you know th- you know thanks for the, thanks for the kind words yeah no problem man
0: you guys are, you guys are doing good and <laughs> doing great actually i like i said i listen to it every wednesday and i drop mine every wednesday too so it gives me i got a 45 minute drive to work every day so it's it's a good podcast and coffee time for me to kind of get my day ready so but
2: perfect and then we'll 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 put this one out on our on our feed as well so um we'll kind of have that transition over to to get our listeners um kind of spun up on everything that you're doing over there sweet man i
0: appreciate so. that both yeah i really appreciate it so, all, right. all right well cool good talk man yeah thanks we'll have to do it again sometime maybe after the season all the season winds down and everything we'll have a, a regroup and just kind of explain how everything went. And- you know, maybe we'll have, uh, maybe I'll have my saddle by that time and we can talk more about that too.
2: Yeah. Well, perfect. And I think, you know, we had kind of talked about it before, you know, we both went on our, our big trips and, uh, you know, we're, we're close enough. I think that we can, you know, get together and, you know, maybe even more like a, a walleye trip or
0: something. Over <laughs> yeah, <Yep. laughs> head over there and do <laughs> some fishing. There you go. Or if you want to, I got a nice deer camp here too. I mean, if you guys ever want to come up and we could do some, uh, you know, I don't know, do some small game hunting in the winter or something, and stay at the cabin. Or if you guys just want to come up for the day or something, we can get together and just do a, do a podcast. That'd be sweet. So, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds great. So. All right, man. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys, right. and uh, I will talk to you soon. All right. All right. See. Thanks. All right. There it is. Another podcast in the books. I know it was a little long, but it was a good conversation. I thought there was a lot of cool stuff in here that a lot of people could take from it. So. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for all the support. And please go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave some feedback. It's greatly appreciated. And uh, don't forget, next Wednesday we'll have an all-new podcast. Thanks, guys.
1: I am natural. You want to succeed. You want to
0: fish. You want to be one of the greatest.
1: Oh. <laughs> Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water. Presented by Costa Custom Boats. Every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.